When you're already in Detroit, you don't have to take a bus to get there. And then, I don't understand that tagline. I don't either. I saw it as a quote. Someone <laughs> said. And I All went, right. Oh, people get it that because it's a quote. Then well, if I say it, it's even more of a quote. Is there a, is there a bus synopsis? No. All right. Well, in that case, Dingus, what are we going to do? If Kelly Wan doesn't have a synopsis or taglines for it, let's just get into it. Let's do it. We're going to do our our three favorite scenes uh, involving buses. On buses is what I said, but three favorite bus scenes. Oh. Okay, then I I might have to change mine. If if Uh they're just scenes involving buses. No, it was three favorite scenes on buses. All right, well, I'm going to write this one down as a runner-up because you just made me think of one. Uh, I do that stupid thing where we talk about a movie we saw. Oh, shoot, let's do that. Yeah, Kelly Wand, what's the movie you saw this week? (laughs) (laughs) I don't really forgot last time. Yeah, well, well, you you obviously remembered, so you have something up your sleeve. What did you see? I remembered it the last second. I'm all, oh, fuck, that stupid thing. Uh... I did a double feature of Bad wow, Matt. You like this feature so much that you want to bring up two movies. That's awesome. Well, you can pick which one you want me to do. Nope, see. you pick which one. It's not It's not on me, Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, well, you look, determine your own fate. It, it was a double feature of Bad Match and Bad Okay, match. that's the one we're doing. <laughs> you can't just pick. I, if we start listing all the movies we saw this week, I've got probably about seven. Let me make a list here. And then you guys just pick from them? Is that how that works, Kelly Wand? No, it's just the fact that it's the exact same title except for one letter. Oh, I did cut you off. So you were just pointing out that, okay, I'm sorry. Then In that case, it is worth bringing up. I spoke too soon, so start over again. You saw Bad Match and what? You're gibbering like a barnyard animal of everything I said constantly. So you didn't, you missed the lead. Bad Match and Bad Batch. Hey, and it's not the lead, Kelly Wan, if you don't mention it up front. Yep. No, you can bury the lead. All right, which one do you want to talk about? It's buried. Mm. Neither of them. That's my That's my twist ending. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Uh, uh, I did try. Okay, well, uh, okay, well, Dingus, what's something that you saw this week? (laughs) You did try. Is that what you're gonna say? (laughs) I did try to understand. So wait a minute. Kelly told us we have to do this feature, and then he refuses to talk about it. Yeah, I guess. No, he asked me if I wanted to talk about it. I don't want to. I want to make you do something you don't want to. I thought you might. I mean, the I thought you might have something you wanted to share with us. So you saw two movies that were one letter apart, neither That's of which you liked. Part. Yeah, but doesn't that save time? Like you don't have to hear me talk about the movie. I just go, hey, check it out. I watched these two movies, and they right. almost have the same title. Fascinating. And then we go on to Dingus. That's nothing I have to say is more interesting than that. And I'm not saying that is interesting. All right. Did you see uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night? No, they never do that here. All right. <laughs> I, I just think that uh, Lily Amanpour has a Am- Amirpour, uh, has an interesting career ahead of her. And I think Bad uh, Batch has some things worth talking about, but you disagree. So fair enough. 
It's like well, the Harmony Korean. She just, she's a she's actually not Persian. I think she's just British, but she's of Persian descent. Uh, and she did a girl walks home alone at night. She did uh, bad oh. bad uh, batch, um, which uh, it's yeah. Jason Momoa's best movie out of two movies. So that's good. It's better than Conan because he doesn't talk much. There's another Suki Waterhouse movie where she's an android or something. Future World. It's the James Franco. Future movie. World. Yeah. Is that good? Uh, directed by James Franco. I I have a uh-huh. guess that I could venture. <laughs> <laughs> but it's is it no, just stone? It's, it's no as they lay dying. Right. Is it funny? I think what's famous about Future World is it's the it's the movie that he got in trouble with for asking uh, women in his acting class to show up and be extras on the set and he was shooting a strip club scene and some of them complained that they felt pressured into uh, doing nudity and so uh-huh. that got james franco wrapped up in the the me too movement i think that oh, okay yeah. why does he just hire strippers then he has no issues i well, don't know you'll have to talk to, to him. him a break yeah. uh, all right uh, dingus what's something you saw this week That's, before i say uh-huh. I still haven't seen the Walk Alone at Night movie. <laughs> yeah, I haven't either. I've heard a lot. I mean, I've. Oh, I, all right. I've I was going to ask you if. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I, I've not seen it myself. I want to, especially after seeing um, Bad Batch, but uh, I definitely. I hate you. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Just a general principle. Okay, back to what Dingus was saying. Right, I, I will say that 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 would. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go, uh, ahead. Just go ahead, Dingus. No, no. I just wanted to talk about Bad batch and kelly doesn't want to so go go ahead i want i want to hear about bad well you you haven't seen it and i don't it's uh uh it's one of it's a i i say this without irony it is a great jim carrey performance oh uh and he why are you saying what you didn't like him in it bad batch yeah i thought he was I, i sort of liked the idea of what they were doing with him you mean keanu reeves no, that didn't really work for me. <laughs> that was a little weird. Who was Jim Carrey? The old man? Yeah, the guy who looks like Jim Carrey, <laughs> but homeless. That's Jim Carrey? Yeah, he has no lines. Uh, he just is, is kind of emoting with his face. He's in a, a, a Polish um, detective movie called Dark Crimes, where uh, there, there's no humor. And by the way, it's a very Polish, very bleak, dark Eastern Bloc uh, movies, like the kind of thing that would come out of Poland in the '80s or something. Or, uh, uh, and it's 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 not Polish language; it's English language, and there are Polish actors in it speaking English but with accents. And Jim Carrey is the lead as an old guard Polish policeman who uh, resents uh, his superior and is investigating what he feels is impropriety on his superior's part in a, in a previous crime. So he's trying to open an old case and he's doing it out of, uh, potentially personal motives, uh, that are suspect. Um, it's, it's a very downbeat Polish Eastern Bloc kind of French connection. Uh, and he's fascinating in it because he also, because all the actors that he's around are Polish speaking English, he, he tries a Polish accent. Like he just speaks as if he's also Polish uh, doing English in a Polish accent. Uh, and it, it sounds really odd, but it's fascinating to watch. Huh. Mm. Um, but yeah, in bad batch, they didn't give him any lines. He's, I forget if he, he's, is there something about his tongue being cut out? I guess he was just mute. He was just a mute, crazy old man who's in a couple of scenes and has no lines. Yeah. Wait, that's the Truman show, Jim Carrey. 
Um, not anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I thought Jim Carrey was uh, – Dingus, do you remember the name of that Netflix documentary about him playing Andy Kaufman? That is who you know. And it's, it's called something like, and now introducing it's a very sh- Andy and Jim or something. Yeah, yeah, and it has some subtitle like, and now introducing a very special guest star or something. Uh, and it is just insufferable. It's it's Chris yes. Smith. It's the guy who did Home Movie. Uh, he's 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 been a documentarian for a while now, and he basically just lets Jim Carrey sit there and talk about his process. Oh, that's right. He talks about his spiritual connection and whatnot. Yeah, and he's being literal too. Like it's just crazy. You're obviously like, yeah, this is the guy who was married to Jenny McCarthy, the crazy vaxxer lady, and you can see how he could embrace these crazy causes. And he 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 says that like he he genuinely feels he was channeling Andy Kaufman's spirit. Uh, and he yeah. did. There's footage of him uh, doing a whole. Is it Tony Clifton? What's the uh, alter ego that Andy Kaufman had? I don't have any. Yeah, Tony Clifton. Yeah, so Jim Carrey did the whole makeup thing as Tony Clifton and ran around uh, it was Universal because uh, he, he went to Steven Spielberg's office. He went into the cafeteria. He was just running around and having a documentary crew follow him while he pretended to be Tony Clifton and was just really annoying. Uh, so I watched that thing. I was like, I'm just done with Jim Carrey. The guy's just so annoying and so full of himself. And then I see him doing these two very quiet, downbeat performances. And I'm like, oh, you know, if he just shuts up long enough, he's actually a pretty good actor. Um, oh, okay. Plus he likes well, to paint Sarah Huckabee Sanders. That's his. Well, well so if he's doing like a, a mute character, he's less Truman, uh, the Truman Show, and more Dumb and Dumber. He's an expressive character, though, in Bad Batch. But I'd rather watch a documentary about Val Kilmer channeling Jim Morrison. Mm, I, I don't – yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to see either. <laughs> uh, that just that, sounds funnier to me. <laughs> well, that Jim and Andy <laughs> thing is, is really insufferable. Like I just uh, – yeah. That's what I mean. If I'm going to watch an, a, an actor pontificate, I'd rather listen to – To Val Kilmer than Jim Carrey? Okay, maybe. Talk about Jim Morrison. Like, yeah, man, during this scene, I was so wasted. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Kelly Wan, maybe you could make that documentary happen for us. I'm sure sure Val Kilmer's looking – because you would just watch an Andy Kaufman documentary. You wouldn't I'm watch sure Val Kilmer's looking for work after the snowman. <laughs> Snowmen. Yeah. Snowman. Um, okay, yeah. So I watched that. All right. Polish movie. Oh, no, Dark Crimes you didn't watch. That's the that's the Polish movie. Yeah, and it's not for everyone. It really is. Um, it might be for you, Kelly Wand. It's just it's bleak and slow and gray, uh, and it's all about – watching Jim Carrey sort of tamp himself down and do a very downbeat performance. So it's like the man who wasn't there. Um, Similar. Yeah, yeah. But I think Billy Bob Thornton was always kind of good at that sort of thing. Jim Carrey, I'm not used to seeing him do that. Um, Martin Sokas is in it. You know, Celeborn. Uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. There's a lot of her in it. Celeborn? That was such a case, I thought. No, wait, wait, was that Lee Pace? Which one was Martin Sokas then? No, that was Celeborn. Yeah, Kelly Wan, learn your Tolkien. Uh, <laughs> All right. Maybe you remember him from Born Supremacy. Right. Uh, okay, Dingus, what's something you saw this week that you'd like to talk oh. about, ideally? All right, I <laughs> saw a movie called Marjorie Prime. Have you, either of you seen this? No, I want to. All right, uh, then I won't talk too much about it. Um, Should I want to? 
you know what? I've kind of gone back and forth about this as I've uh, like written it up. I'm wondering if it's for you. It, it's not overly Sundancey, but it is pretty. It gets pretty melodramatic, but it's really well acted. Um, it's pretty well written. It's directed by uh, and written uh, written for the screen by a guy named Michael Amareda. Oh, uh, sure. And uh, as I was watching, and I kept thinking, boy, this really just feels like I'm watching a play. And then as you get to the end, you find out, oh, it's based on a play by a guy named <laughs> Jordan Harrison. Um, uh, but it's uh, a sci-fi uh, kind of a thing. Um, but it, I, I really like a lot of it. And one of the things I like most about it is this actress named uh, Lois Smith. Yeah, I love that, her. Yeah. yeah. I really, really like her a lot. And do you remember what we saw her in most recently? Um, shoot. She had big old glasses on. She played like comic relief, right? Um, well, she was playing a nun. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. So Kelly, do you know the... what we're talking about? No? no. Kelly, are you there? Did we... Okay. Right. So she's the, um, she's the older nun in Lady Bird, um, who... It looks like, and this is one of the things that I think we really liked about it, uh, who it seems like she's just going to be this doddering, annoying presence, but turns out to really be a complex, interesting character, even with just a few scenes. Um, she really reminds me, just in her face and her facial expressions, of a friend of ours, like 20 years in the future. Uh, I really, really like her, and I love the way that the movie starts starts off with her and how it how it works into her character and how her character changes over the course of the movie. Um, I think she's really the strongest part of the movie, but the movie has an incredibly strong cast. It's really interesting, interestingly written. Um, and the weird thing about the movie is that, and this might be part of, part of it feeling like a play to me is that it feels like it has, it's dealing with too many issues um, or too many ideas, which I think is a strength and a weakness because it's talking about uh, memory and identity and all of these types of things, which are very complicated. Um, it's, uh, it's fairly slowly paced, um, but, uh, but I, I would – I would recommend it to a lot of people. I don't know. I'm I'm feeling a little reluctant because because um, it can be a little ponderous a little at times. Uh, but the acting and the writing is so good in other places that uh, I would recommend it because I think it would be a fun movie to discuss. All right, Kelly Wan, I'm going to watch Marjorie Prime. What do you think of that? I guess Lee Pace was Thranduil. <laughs> <laughs> so uh anyway i i wanted to say i watched my you know usually i watch movies because you guys recommend them this is a movie that uh our friend alexandra has been recommending to us for a long time it came out in 2017 um uh, and finally i got around to watching it this week and um so anyway i just wanted to well you didn't spoil it you just said i'd rather you watch it and you'll see what it's like when you watch it yeah, and that's what she basically said to, to me, and I think she might have said that to Tom as well. Just you should put this on your radar, and she knows very well to do that with with the two of us. Just put this on your radar. 
She knows to use radar analogies with Tom. Right, because she's a big MASH fan. Right. Ew. <laughs> uh, the, the thing I was thinking of, Lois Smith uh, having big glasses on and being comic relief, uh, she is in Nice Guys. Like, she's one of the... Oh. The, she's the guy. She's the the crazy old woman who uh, puts Ryan Gosling on the case. I think in Nice Guys. Oh. I was just remembering that they don't do much with her. She's just, you know, she plays doddering old ladies a lot, like you said. Uh, she doesn't get as many chance. She doesn't get to play her part like in um, Minority Report or uh, Lady Bird as often as I think she should. Um, well, she gets to do a hell of a lot here, and uh, it's really cool to see somebody her age get to get to have a chance to start off a movie and then have an actual part in it. Well, in um, science fiction too. Like I love yeah, the, this idea exactly. of a, a genre movie with someone of, of, of that age in, in the lead. I like that. That's cool. And she can handle it and she can handle the transitions in it, which is most important, I think. And mm-hmm. you'll see what I mean when you see it. All right. I really uh, love her as Galadriel, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> she played Sauron. Yeah. So I went back and watched uh, a movie that I mentioned before that I remember being freaked out by as a kid. Uh, and Kelly Wan, you remember when we were talking about uh, it, like if your house was burning and your cats were in it? You remember yeah. when we were talking about that and this idea that, yeah, you run and you save your cats? Yeah. Was, was that on the podcast or off the podcast? Do you remember? I think I said I would die with them. And I, no, we, we talked about that because I, I, I referenced Defending Your Life. So I remember then in a movie called Gator, uh, where Burt Reynolds is – and I didn't realize this. Gator is a sequel to White Lightning. Gator. Yeah, I learned that from Archer. Archer? Yeah. The cartoon? Yeah, he's really into Burt Reynolds. Oh, good lord. I, don't, I, I do not understand Burt Reynolds' appeal at all. The guy is an utter putz, oh. and, and the movie is so <laughs> – what 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 what's which so what freaked me out as a kid in Gator is there's some comic relief characters played by uh Jack Weston and a woman who I've seen her in a million things. She plays the crazy old cat lady in this, and there's a goofy scene where they have to go on a heist. They have to break into the, the city hall and steal some some records, some tax records. And the batty old lady, she used to work there and so she has the key. She's like, Yeah, let's do it, like a heist. And she's like, But we're bringing my cats. So there's a heist scene where Burt Reynolds and the comic relief character is carrying – they're carrying around cats. And, and the, the guards come in, and they run from the police, and they're carrying the cats the whole time. And it's wacky, and it's funny. But then the movie kills the crazy old lady when the house is burning, and the cats are in it. She's like, no, my babies, and she breaks free, runs into the house, and the house blows up, killing her and the cats. And she was like the comic relief funny character in, in the movie, and, and Jack Weston, the other comic relief, has just been brutally shotgunned, um, and I remember as a kid just feeling really bad about that, because I liked them. Um, so the other thing that freaked me out, not, not the other thing that I remember vividly as a child is, and I think I misspoke before, I said something about Lauren Bacall being in this. It is not Lauren Bacall, it's Lauren Hutton. Oh, uh, yeah, she's the Burt Reynolds one. Oh, well, first of all, good Lord, she's hot. I mean, she's just gorgeous. And what I remembered as a kid is her being naked in it. So I'm watching Gator. (laughs) thinking thinking it was was the Lauren Bacall. (laughs) No, as soon as she came on, I realized. As soon as she came on, I realized it wasn't Lauren Bacall. I I know Lauren Bacall from. generation. uh, (laughs) Okay. I, I know Lauren Bacall from some. I mean, she's still not still, but she she made movies in the seventies and like. Uh, and I've certainly seen is it Key Largo? What's the put your lips that's, together and whistle? 
That's the fifties. Uh, it was uh, had to have it have not. But uh, but, but I, at any rate, she was she's been working like Lauren Bacall. I knew mainly Lauren, as an older actress. Uh, and Lauren's mixed up. Right, exactly. So uh, when when not the super hot chick from Key Largo and have and have not, when she shows up in Gator, I'm like, oh, that's Lauren Hutton, not Lauren Bacall. Uh, Damn it, penis. And Lauren Hutton, like that gap between her teeth, and they even talk about it in the movie. It's just so adorable. I love that. Yeah. So I remembered her being naked because this movie, I would have been uh, not eight. Is it 74? Gator's naked. Yeah. So I remembered her being naked, and, and the scene comes on. And, and so here's what's terrible about the movie is, is Lauren Hutton has to try mightily to pretend to be into Burt Reynolds. And oh my God, what a labor that is! Because Burt Reynolds, he's so, he's just so, he just exudes the fact that he thinks he's cool. That's the that's the that's central true. premise of things like Smokey and the Bandit and Gator, and I'm assuming White Lightning, which I have no desire to see. Uh, so so, and Lauren Hutton has to go along with it. Like that's what she's been hired to do is to also think that Burt Reynolds is cool and sexy and funny and hot, and she's into him. And it's just so painful to watch. Um, so we're coming along. We're getting to the movie. They go out on the beach at night, and I'm like, oh, this looks familiar. They're talking. They talk about the gap in her teeth. Uh, she's got a goofy like a fedora cowboy hat on, and they start uh, getting intimate. And and her shirt comes off from the back. And then it swings around the front. It's super shooting, like her shoulders only. And it's a PG thirteen movie, like it not PG thirteen. It's it's not. There's no nudity in it. Is what I'm saying. It's it's cut around where you can never see any breasts. Uh, or, but but in my childhood mind, like I yeah, filled in see? all those blanks. I was you like, were oh like my Psycho and Hitchcock. I was like, oh my god, that woman's naked, and that's how I remember it. Uh, yeah, I like. Uh Longest Yard and Sharky's Machine, and I was really excited and ditched school when City Heat came out because it had Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood in it. I know that sounded really exciting to me, and I remember watching it, ditching school and leaving going, that was satisfying. That was good value. See, I think as a kid, you might not know any better. But what, I mean, I liked right. Smokey and the Bandit when I was a kid, and that right. so hold up. Jesus. One of my instances of sleepwalking was when my stepfather was up watching Smokey and the Bandit, and I sleptwalk out. I don't know if that's how you say it, sleptwalk <laughs> out to see, out to watch it. And he's like, you need to go back to bed. And I'm like, but uh, I, I want to be out here. And I, I don't remember any of this. I just was sleepwalking. <laughs> and he was watching Smokey and the Bandit at the time. And how how was it for you watching it? So no, I just said a bunch of mindless gibberish. Like I got the wrong answer. Uh, what do you mean on the test? All right, I need you to go to bed, but I need to watch this. Go but back. But smoking to bed. the bandit drew you. That was the yep. flame that drew your subconscious. Like oh, yeah. Jerry Reed. What's the dog's I'm name? Fred. Because I'm a huge fan of Coors. Yeah, but also, I slept, uh, I sleepwalked like- out to watch Smoking the Bandit. Did you guys see Hooper? <laughs> I'm sure I did. I couldn't tell you anything about it. I mean, I, 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 as a kid, was apparently into Burt Reynolds. Like, I liked – I was too dumb to know any better. I, I, I thought Burt Reynolds was cool. And then I grew up, and I watched his movies and realized I was sadly mistaken. All of them are just like – because Stroker Ace will depress you, and Smoking the Bandit doesn't hold up. But, like, there's none of it's he, good. It just seems like such a tool. Um. 
there's a super drawn out scene in in Gator. So the the, the appealing thing, the, the reason to see Gator is because Lauren Hutton is really hot, but also Jerry Reed, who I wouldn't know from Adam, he's the villain in it, and he's really good. Like Jerry yeah. Reed is fascinating in every single scene he's in, and so there's a scene where Jerry Reed and their buddies. That's the whole premise: is that Jerry Reed is this corrupt guy who's got the town and the cops in his pocket, and Burt Reynolds has just gotten out of prison, and he used to be buddies with Jerry Reed. So the feds basically say, "Hey, we need you to 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 uh, buddy up with your your old friend Jerry Reed. Find out what's going on. We need to get some dirt on him. Otherwise, right. you're, you're going back in prison." Like they're basically holding this over. Uh, over his head. Uh, his name is Gator McCluskey. That's really so stupid. Wow. Uh, so, uh, so Jerry Reed is in all these scenes as this villain uh, who's like his friend and uh, just like Burt Reynolds gives him a lot because Burt Reynolds directed Gator, by the way. This is also Burt Reynolds deciding, <laughs> hey, I'm going to direct myself. I'm um, a double threat. But he lets Jerry Reed like carry a lot of good scenes. But there's one scene where Jerry Reed has finally had enough of Gator McCluskey messing up with his plans, so he's going to drug him and send him out to the edge of town and just basically kick him out of the county. And also in Gator, there are two really creepy uh, henchmen that, that Jerry Reed has. One is a, a guy named Smiley, and I remember that guy's face because he has this weird rictus smile just pasted on his face the whole time, and it's eerie. And the other is this huge – Richard Kyle was supposed to play this other part, but oh. wasn't available for whatever reason. So he referred another guy who's like seven foot two, I think suffers from some kind of gigantism, uh, but just he's, he's like an ogre. He's, it's amazing seeing this guy. So his sidekicks and Jerry Reed is the villain. They drug – Burt Reynolds's drink, and uh, Burt Reynolds decided, as the director, he's going to have a super long take where he's he's starting to succumb to the drug, and he starts he starts <laughs> like, like laughing. Swarm and Henry Fonda, like what? The Swarm and Henry Fonda, where he injects himself with the beat, and he's like, "Okay, it's really starting to hurt." <laughs> <laughs> like well, it, it is like that because it's all about Burt Reynolds right. deciding that he wants to act and he wants to because he and he's laughing at things and he's he's like pointing out stuff about the the henchmen and trying to make them mad and he's starting to like slur his words and he's starts to like, like fall over. <laughs> exactly, yeah, it's totally like yeah. Watch me act like a guy who's trying to Academy? resist being roofied or quailed. <laughs> Yeah, uh, is he or he and Jerry read the same characters in Smokey and the Bandit? Like, is that a sequel to Gator? It's just did Hal Needham direct Smokey and the Bandit? Is yeah. that when? Yeah, so Hal Needham oh. did the stunts in Gator, and there's an amazing stunt where a a truck. Uh, Jerry Reed is in a, in a pickup truck, and Burt Reynolds jumps into the back of the pickup truck, and then they cut away to where the stuntmen are doing the driving, and the pickup truck ramps over a dune, and it totally gets airborne while the stuntman in the back of the truck uh, – and the truck, it ramps off a dune, and then, a dune and then turns over and slams into the ground, and a stuntman who is riding in the back of the truck throws himself clear and just wham right on the sand, and you watch it. It's Ooh. one of those one-take things. And you're like, man, that guy really uh, earned his keep today. And it turns out that was Hal Needham. And Hal Needham, and he, he injured his back seriously in that stunt, which makes it a little weird to watch afterwards. You're like, wow, that's, you know, that's the guy. Who, and that's how Hal Needham came up to direct uh, Burt Reynolds as he was a stuntman for a long time. Huh. Um, you know why he's called that is uh, after Stroke Race, Burt Reynolds is all, I don't think we can do any more car movies. And then the... How went? No, I need him. Kelly, one that's that's right up there with how Han Solo got his last name. 
Burt Reynolds was great. You didn't like him as Faramir? <laughs> was um? Do you know what year Gator was? Was it before or after the 74. end? Seventy-four. Yeah, seventy-four. Yeah, it must have been way before the pre-Dom, end. pre-Dom, pre-Dom Deloise. Yeah. Right. Because I remember the end pretty well. Um, they basically just replaced Jerry Reed with Dom Deloise in all of his movies. Right. And then with Jim Neighbors. <laughs> I just remember what a weird movie the end was to see, and at that it time. was. And because it's a uh, weird movie. There's this like moment that. where because he's. You know, he keeps and that like, ending. messing up suicide attempts. He takes all these pills and he like throws them up, and he's like, "Oh, it looks like Walt Disney threw up or something." Um, it's just such a weird. It's such a weird movie. I just remember watching it. I forgot that. I, I think Burt Reynolds directed that. It sounds right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it ends. Does it end with Dom DeLuise chasing him with a knife around a beach in fast motion? Yeah, I think so. It's right after his epiphany of "I want to live on the beach," and then that happens, and then the mm. movie's over. That's the end of the end. So you watched Gator? Watch Gator, yeah, yeah just to see if it. I if thought it was about a get, giant gator, though, but it's not. It's a cop movie, huh? It's about Gator McCluskey. Yep. Yeah. So it's Murasa. Boy, I I really thought about a giant monster gator in it. There is a John Sayles actually wrote. I think his first movie before the Piranha movie was a, a giant alligator movie. It was probably called something like Alligator. Before Piranha? Yeah. I think. So that was his that was his niche in Hollywood before Mate One. John Sayles? Are you kidding? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like that's he came up as a as a just ter- like a B movie writer. Like that was his that that's how how he got his foot in the door. He was yeah. Peter Benchley. Not even because I don't think he was a novelist. Peter Benchley was a novelist and just. Uh, but, but John Sayles, he wrote, uh, I think it's Piranha 2, The Spawning, which James Cameron directed, uh, and John Sayles wrote. So uh, there you go. And it's terrible. <laughs> it's got that's flying. where they fly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it was. I think that might have been Cameron's first movie, and his second was The Terminator. Does that sound but isn't right? that Sharknado with smaller fish? Like, it's not that different. Mm. like Sharknado. Don't get me started on that. Those sci-fi joints just have no. They're they're just they're corporate trash. I don't. I I just don't understand how people enjoy those. Um, and I they're, like bad movies. <laughs> I say that as someone who likes bad movies. Yeah, uh, yeah I guess Cause, I agree. Because the thing, like uh, Piranha, by the way, Piranha Two: The Spawning has. Uh, uh, I want to say Joe. Joe Dante did some stop motion animation just for no good reason. There's a weird bit in Piranha 2, I think it's Piranha 2, where a little stop motion monster uh, like runs around in some guy's laboratory. And what? it's just an extended scene. And I, I want to say, you know, maybe Joe Dante did the first Piranha, and it was actually right. Ray Harryhausen did the little scene in that first Piranha. I think I'm confusing Piranha 1 and 2. Huh. Does that sound right, Kelly Wan? Joe Dante, yeah. The yeah, and there's a Ray Harryhausen stop motion little creature sequence in a laboratory, just for the heck of it, just right there in the middle of the movie. So it's got heart in it. It's got like this young guy, Joe Dante, who wants to make movies and who went on to do movies like this. Sharknado has none of that. Sharknado yeah. just has people who want to be famous, uh, and and they get whatever celebrity they can cast in it, who just thinks of it as a lark, and it just has no regard for it. There's no soul in those. It's just careers. Sharknado yeah. is all about making money and boosting careers, whereas those crappy horror movies from the 70s and 80s, those are the guys who would, you know, there was this auteur sensibility to them. Um, it's also CG's not as funny as rubber shit. Like, 
CG, like the Get Smart movie had a CG cone of silence, and it's not as funny as like a really cheap plastic piece of shit kind of silence that doesn't work. Well, there's also an element, too, like when I also watched this week uh, Altered States, by the way, and oh, I didn't know wow. this, the, the makeup in Altered States, so uh, uh, not Dick Smith, what was the famous makeup artist who worked on that? I, was his name Dick Smith? I think his name was, what was it? Rick Baker. Well, Rick Baker got, is uncredited because there's a scene where his arm is starting to bubble as he is undergoing the transformation, um, and it's very much like American Werewolf in London, and watching it, it's clearly because it's from that same era. It's clearly the same kinds of things that Rick Baker was doing in American Werewolf in London, and it turns out that he just was working like he was working on American Werewolf at this point. But he he collaborated with I want to say Dick Smith, but I think I'm confusing that with an actor. But he collaborated with the special effect, the makeup artist that Ken Russell had hired for Altered States, and he did those. That that was his work in Altered States, uncredited, and. Uh, I watched an interview on Good Morning America. This is on YouTube. At, at a certain point in Good Morning America, presumably to help market Altered States and American Werewolf in London, Rick Baker and Dick Smith went on and were interviewed by uh, – what's that guy's name? David Hartley, I guess. Like the, the morning Hartman, right, exactly, who, who knows nothing about special effects or horror movies, right. and it just has to ask them these questions. But watching Rick Baker and Dick Smith – talking to each other and about each other and showing off the stuff that they're doing it's so personal and intimate oh, wow. for them it's so it's it's stuff that they literally made hands on and what yeah. you don't get with cg cg is a studio endeavor like cg is made by a team of people there's concept art and the director writes off on it but that's not the way that these special effects were done back in the 70s and 80s where you had one guy who was hired like you know Rick Baker he was told, you know, give me, uh, give me, do do a werewolf transformation for me, you know, do it, come up yeah. with some way to do it, you know. John Landis just trusted him, and you know, and the same with Rob Bottin on the thing, John Carpenter's like, just give me freaky stuff. You can uh, see the difference. That's the thing. Yeah. It's not just us being luddites. It's better. It looks better. Yeah, and it's, cer- it's certainly it's certainly it's just more personal, and I, I feel more it, it it comes more directly from an imagination rather than being yeah. filtered through technology in a studio. Well, uh, the actors in the scene can also react to it directly. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. The CG basket case that would suck. See? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Frank Henlenhotter probably did that stuff himself. Actually, Wouldn't but be Reynolds so- was great in that, by the way. I don't believe you. What? He's really Isn't in basket that? case? No. Okay. He's in Q, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't learn to, I didn't learn to respect Burt Reynolds until Boogie Nights, I'm afraid. You liked him as a kid, like I did, and there, he made an occasionally a good movie. Right, but I, I didn't I, – yeah. But, it felt like but a crazy I, accident even when it was good. Yeah, I watch him in Gator now, and I'm like, you're, you're a putz. I don't like you. But then, of course, I do have respect for – what he does in, in Boogie Nights where he's got this body of work behind him and he's older and he's settled down and he just wants to play this porn magnate. Uh, like I, I love him in Boogie Nights. You know, that sort of thing totally works for me. Whereas watching him just exude his own cool in Gator, I just find so off-putting. Did you like The Man Who Loved Women, Tom? <laughs> I have no idea what that is. <laughs> what is that? It's a Blake Edwards movie of a remake of a French movie with Burt Reynolds. And Mary Lou Henry's naked in it with him. Because he breaks her headlight or tail. Is she real naked or is she Tom's memory she's t- naked? She's topless. She's more than Tom naked. 
but less than naked naked. So Blake and eighties naked. Blake Edwards, the guy who who talked Julie Andrews out of her clothes, got uh, Mary Lou Henner naked as well, huh? He got a lot of chicks naked. Huh? How about that? Oh, Derek's uh, topless in ten, isn't she? Uh, name a Bo Derek movie where she's not topless. all right so that's movies we've seen this week that's yeah let's let's now do what i what what i jumped ahead to do a moment ago dingus the main event um yeah what is the three by three again ironically it seems on buses all right my number three pick is the uh comedic classic hot pursuit starring sofia vergara and reese witherspoon uh, everybody who's seen it is like, oh yeah, I know that bus scene. It's one of the best scenes in the movie. Kelly Wan, I want you to imagine something. Imagine two women handcuffed together because one of them is a feisty cop and the other one is the wife of a Colombian drug cartel lord on the run. So to make sure that Sofia Vergara doesn't run off, Reese Witherspoon handcuffs their hands together. And they sneak onto a bus, which is a scene unto itself, uh, involving a miscommunication about the nature of the bus. It turns out it is not a cowboy, a country music bus. It is a bunch of seniors on a sightseeing tour. So you can imagine the shenanigans that led up to them being on this bus. Wait, they're handcuffed by boobs? They're not boob cuffs, Kelly. They're handcuffs. Actually, they should be called wrist cuffs, right? Yeah. It's it's really funny. There's a seat during this scene. Uh, so, and there's a chase scene on the bus, and because the the moment the chase scene starts, the bus driver freaks out and ejects himself from the moving bus, and he does this so that we can now have Reese Witherspoon tr- struggling to drive the bus, but she's too short. Her feet can't reach the pedal, so Sofia oh. Vergara gets in. She's driving the bus, and then Reese Witherspoon has her gun, and she's going to shoot at the bad guy who's chasing the bus, trying to run, run it off the road. The nature is such that when when one person has an arm as a handcuff to another person, and one person's trying to use a steering wheel, and the other person is trying to use a gun to shoot out the window over the other person, it turns out the most comfortable orientation that they can assume for both of them doing this is that Reese Witherspoon has to straddle Sofia Vergara while uh. Sofia Vergara is driving the bus and Reese Witherspoon shooting out the window. And uh, it's pretty darn adorable. <laughs> <laughs> so uh it's a it's Wait, a that's the what payoff you mean he scene? yeah no the, you mean well, he ejects himself from the bus he doesn't like push a button and there's yep. comically no no oh no he pushes a button to open the door and then throws himself out of the, the door okay <laughs> but, so it's not like a fighter pilot ejecting himself no no they don't have that on that on the, that's not a feature of this bus as far as i know all right uh, because that would be hilarious. It's basically it's just a chase scene, and there's some cute, funny things in it, uh, and they're handcuffed together, and it's just an example of why it's it's not a good movie, but I really enjoy both of them in it. Uh, I like some of the writing in it, uh, and there's a funny bit at the end of this chase scene. They're handcuffed together. You can see Sofia Vergara. Uh, the the handcuff has fallen off of her hand because they're not wearing it too tightly. <laughs> and she has to like snake her hand back. It's just something that if unless you're looking for it, you can't tell. She has Maybe to snake her character hand. doing it. Nope, because she, she, she has to knock Reese Witherspoon out to escape later on. Uh, but, but you definitely see the actress pushing her hand back into the handcuff, That's which is on super loose like a bracelet. Yeah. Is that why they make handcuffs like that? So that women have to straddle each other to drive a bus? 
Civil did, War. What's that movie where uh, uh, sh- the the racist guy gets uh, handcuffed to the black man and they're escaping in in the deep south? The Bob Hoskins called? one. Is that a Bob Hoskins thing? There's one called Heart Conditioner. Gets a black dude's heart and he's racist. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the things where uh, like the two convicts are are handcuffed together and they have to learn to get along. Ah, uh, uh, Southern Comfort. It's a few. Uh, not few. That's, it's the Defiant ones. Oh, I'll have to take Mingus's word for it. It's, it predates uh, good movie making, so I'm not it's familiar the, with. That's it. the original. There's a there's a lady one. A lady one. There's a later one with like uh, somebody else. But well, now there's a lady one. Yeah. Uh, and good. there's there's also Deadlock with Mimi Rogers and Rutger Hauer, which is a, that that same kind of yeah. thing, but without the handcuffs. They're neck cuffs. Yeah. Predator um, two. This is a different kind of jungle. Okay, what, what? One of the there, there's a great moment, and I know I've talked about this before in the first Lethal Weapon movie, where uh, Mel Gibson goes up to talk this uh, this jumper down. Uh, this guy is going to jump off the roof, <laughs> and. Um, and he's he's trying to talk him down. He's trying to negotiate with him, but you know Martin Riggs is kind of crazy. So You're hand- crazy. Yeah, he handcuffs the two of them together, and he and he goes, "We're gonna jump. We're gonna jump. Do you really want to jump?" And so he just jumps. Um, and the gag is that the police have already set up this this big uh, you know this big you know bouncy house for them to fall on. But we don't know they, it when he's saying it. We think he's right. gonna jump. So it's a total cheat. Uh-oh. It's a terrible thing. Yeah, because the jumper would see it. <laughs> yeah, but as they jump, you see That's... exactly what Tom said. Kind of, you see their hands separate, and then, <laughs> and then they like grab oh. hands again. That's yeah. funny because I remember thinking earlier, saying like, "Oh, that seems like a rough stunt because you're handcuffed." So no, they weren't. If they're like, me. they're like rubber handcuffs, or they're they're, but they separate. You can see it separate, and then you can see them grab hands. Right. Again. right. Stupid Donner. Yeah. See yeah, exactly. They should have had CG back then. Right? Finally, CG has its place. Kelly, I want to have a question for you. Yeah? What's your third favorite bus scene in moviedom? I really liked your number three, and it makes me want to watch the movie. And it's, I still it's, don't believe that's real. I don't believe that's so really want So if you want to see Reese Witherspoon and Sofia Vergara making out with each other, trying to convince a farmer that they're gay, Hot uh-huh. Pursuit is the movie to see. I feel like I'd rather watch that. But with Scarlett Johansson as the Reese Witherspoon character. Mm, I don't think that Scarlett Johansson has Reese Witherspoon's comedic instincts. <laughs> what? Uh, didn't what? you see Under the Skin? Uh, didn't you see Rough Night? Didn't you wait, see wait, Sweet wait. Home Alabama? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're both right. <laughs> We're all right. Dads. <laughs> all right. Um, Kelly Wand, quit trying to dodge the question. All right. Well, my number three is another cute girl one mm-hmm. i think i've already used this one before but it's the first That's thing allowed. i thought of it's yeah. allowed to, to reuse movies for three by threes is it because i was trying to remember what i'd used it for because it doesn't seem like maybe we can help you okay uh in speed so wait what bo- movie the motion picture speed <laughs> when sandra bullet gets on the bus and she sits next to Cameron from uh, Ferris Bueller, or he sits next to her. Alan Ruck. Alan yep. Ruck. And then he's all, hey, I'm, a dumb, I'm Cameron from Ferris Bueller or something. And then he goes, she's all, she rolls her eyes, and then she's all, 
she takes her gum out of her mouth and winds it around her thumb, and she's all, oh, I got to move. I got gum on my seat. Look, gum. Then she sticks it under his face and shows him the gum she was chewing. Why does she not like Alan Ruck? I don't know. He's a creepy tourist. If huh. she'd said that to me, her plan would have backfired because I would have just followed her and gone, hey, do that gum thing some more. <laughs> so you, so you would have said, did you say gum or something else? Gum. She says it's super dumb. <laughs> she said yeah. it like Alicia Vikander. <laughs> she does. She says, there's gum on my seat. Gum. gum. All right. She says it all dumb. And she oh, never got- does that kind of thing again in any of her movies or in Speed or in Speed 2, Cruise Control. She never she does, does it in Heat. Which she does every the time thing? Tom brings up Hot Pursuit, I think about Heat. She or The Heat, have- rather. Sorry. Oh, The Heat. Right, right. I was thinking, what is Dingus? She's not in Heat. Dingus is confusing her with Ashley, Ashley Judd. She's got a bright <laughs> ass. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we got speed on the table pretty quickly, Kelly Wand. Gum. I Thanks do like, uh, I guess I won't mention the other one, but it's not on my list. All right. It's right. an runner's up. Ugh, I don't like the runners up. The runners up thing, see, it feels like it's cheating, but then there's like, oh yeah, I gotta say this one thing, because then that's what a runner up is. My favorite thing about Speed is that Eddie Izzard does this whole routine about it in French in his in his uh, special Dress to Kill. And he says, in, in French, Speed should have been called La Vitesse. But instead, they decided to call it Speed. <laughs> I don't understand that joke, but I think it's funny for some reason. <laughs> Tom, did you understand that? Uh, I think you have to be an Eddie Izzard fan. Yep. Or get French. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Speed, so, yay. Dingus, your third favorite bus scene in a movie. All right, here's a quote from it. Lincoln's a chick. Lincoln's a chick? What'd you say? Yep. Lincoln's a chick. Lincoln's a chick. I mean, I could just start guessing bus scenes, but I'll... I'll no, refer- you don't have to. So, uh, Lincoln's a chick. The the, the uh, quote that you'll get, Tom, is, that's you. I ferreted you. Oh, eh, okay, yeah. I mean, that's where I'd they lo- meet, I guess. So, yeah, sure. Uh, that's where they meet, and that's where she actually um, susses him out or ferrets him, and decides to recruit him. So th- this is a really important scene because it takes place on a school bus, and this is in the movie Rocket Science, which uh, is a 2007 movie directed by a dude named Jeffrey Blitz, who also did a documentary called Spellbound, which is quite good, and I, I definitely recommend it to people. Um, and so it's about uh, – it's kind of Wes Anderson light, if you can imagine Wes Anderson light. It's kind of somebody trying to be a little Wes Anderson-y. Um, but it's something that I saw at Sundance in 2007 and I really, really loved it. Uh, and what happens is there's this guy, his name is Hal Hefner, if you'll believe that, uh, uh, played by this dude named Reese Thompson, who's on a school bus and he's sitting next to his brother and his brother is this kind of weird, overbearing, uh, totally alpha, uh, a type like overbearing guy who is his older brother and is constantly controlling things in the house. And he's, and he's having this conversation with Hal where he's just telling him the reason you'll never succeed is because you don't have an agenda. Uh, and the thing about, uh, Hal Hefner is that he's this chronic stutterer. He, he just can't, he can't speak. And, um, 
as the two of them are talking, the camera goes back in the school bus. This is this is the kids being taken from school to their homes. You see one uh, Virginia Ryerson, played by Anna Kendrick, uh, sitting back there and watching them talk. And Anna Kendrick has just suffered a terrible defeat in the state debates uh, because her uh, debate partner just froze and was done. And they, they could have won the debate, but the dude was just done. And so she, uh, she's scheming to try to figure out how am I going to win the next state debate? Because that is what is driving her. And so she decides to recruit and this is the moment where she decides to recruit. You don't know yet why she's deciding to recruit him. She's deciding to recruit this chronic stutterer, Hal Hefner. And so she eventually gets up while this older brother is badgering his younger brother on the, on these little school bus seats. And we all, I mean, people of a certain age understand those school bus seats. I mean, in California, we don't have very many school buses. Uh, we have to drive our kids to school most of the time. Um, but they're 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 these really rigid, small little seats, uh, and that's why I kind of like this topic because it like, kind of sandwiches everybody together. Um, and so this brother is just like bearing down on his younger brother, and she says, "Hey, Adolf, get out of here. I'm going to talk to him, and then you can come back here and talk to him in a minute." And she sits down and she does this whole recruitment speech to him in this super fast. And this is the debate style that they're using. It's this super fast talking speed that they do in high school debates that isn't really uh, so much related to the topic at hand as so much as getting as much information as you can in as little time as you can. I can't do it right now, but it's just super. And she convinces this kid, look, I can coach you up. And, but at the same time, she's using, she's flirting with him a little bit and they develop a sort of relationship as she draws him into uh, doing this, but she does it on the school bus on the way home and she gets off the school bus. And this is why it's an important school bus scene. She gets off the school bus at her house and she's in a far better neighborhood than he is. And as she walks up the school bus, he watches her as the school bus pulls away and she just waves over her shoulder without looking back. She knows that he's watching her. And I just love the way that whole scene is structured because then the older brother plops back down next to next to the younger brother and keeps berating him. So there you go, rocket science. Uh, I love Dennis O'Hare in that movie. Isn't he great? Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, I also – Go ahead. I'm also keeling – like watching the movie, and I hadn't remembered this because you didn't know who she was back when you first see rocket science. She goes missing like for a long stretch of the middle of the movie, which I'm like, oh, wait. I wanted to see more Anna Kendrick. She really does. This is before she was Anna Kendrick. I right, mean, right, really yeah. was, yeah. Yeah. So. Ugh. All right, Kelly. It also has. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. It also has the guy. Um, I'm trying to remember his name right now. Uh, I think the stepfather is the guy from Fargo who hits on, uh, who hits on her at the buffet, but I'm not sure off the top of my head and he plays the stepfather oh and that's I, right the asian fellow yeah yeah and i can't remember his name and i feel terrible about that but i, I can't remember him it's um, really the same actor you think i'm not just saying that is. because they're both asian <laughs> Dingus. Uh, i am saying it because i'm racist but not because they're both asian <laughs> i just Dingus. like him so much 
Dingus, can you give us a little bit of your Bailing impression? Yeah, Dingus. Uh, <laughs> sure thing, white man. Uh, Bay Ding. <laughs> Uh, my second favorite bus scene, and I uh, it, again, this is something like Gator, or I just remembered as a kid, and going back and watching it, man, movies were so dumb back then. And Clint Eastwood, this was one of this is one of the early movies that he directed too, by the way. Clint Eastwood, every bit as bad as uh, as Burt Reynolds, but at least in this movie, he's letting himself play a kind of a schlub. So there's a movie with him and Sandra Locke called The Gauntlet. Um, <laughs> why are you laughing? Uh, it's a minor Eastwood. I've never Go seen on. it, but it's it's interesting that you describe him as a schlub. Well, that that he really yeah. well, there's so many things going on in this movie that are they're an artifact of the times. Like he he is a he's a, a a cop who gets picked for this job to escort a witness from uh Phoenix to, or no from Las Vegas to Phoenix and Me, myself and Irene kind of plot and he or or Midnight Run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he, he does it because uh, – and, and they do it because you find out in the course of the movie they want him to fail. So he doesn't realize this. He's a patsy basically, and Sandra Locke as the streetwise prostitute who he's escorting, and she's got dirt on a big-name politician and who's connected to the mob. So they're trying to assassinate her. She's like streetwise, and she knows that they're playing him for a dupe, and she tries to convince him, and he doesn't quite see it. Uh, and, and so he lets himself play this clueless do-gooder – uh, low-level cop uh, who's too dumb to realize he's being set up. Like that's his character through most of the Gauntlet. Um, so, and the Gauntlet is terrible. Like one of the first things, and this, I guess, Gauntlet was probably also maybe seventy-four, maybe a little later. Um, but when he first goes into the cell to meet her, because he's going to be escorting her to uh, the trial in Phoenix, she's being super mouthy with him, and he slaps her. Just, just like that, and it, it's not because he's an asshole. It's because in this movie, in this time, that's what you did to mouthy broads. It's really weird watching that, and it's also super uncomfortable. Like if you know anything about what a dick Clint Eastwood was to Sandra Locke and how he basically yeah. torpedoed her career because they had a an, they had a bitter breakup, uh, he totally screwed her over. And watching him be a jerk to her in this movie is really uncomfortable. And it's not the only time he hits her in the movie either. There's another time where he hits her. Um, and there's a point, too, where it, it's like it's like Lauren Hutton and Gator. She's like Sandra Locke is really doing the hard work of trying to make their seem like there's a relationship between them. And in fact, there actually was, which is weird. Uh, she just has to pretend to really be into him as the movie goes on. And it's just kind of sad to watch. Because uh, he's just being Clint Eastwood, and it's nowhere near as bad as Burt Reynolds, by the way. She hits him back a lot in every which way but loose, but then they uh, get back together in the second one. I don't, I, I did, I don't think I know their movies. Bronco like I remember, Billy, you see Bronco Billy, she's in that. Too. Sure, she's I did as a kid. Stuck up Harris yeah. lady, yeah. so she, she's mouthy again. So he has to teach her some manners. Well, here she's a like she's a prostitute, and she's seen the worst of people, and she kind of bears up under his abuse, and uh, I don't know. But at any rate, what I remember seventy-seven. Okay, yeah. what I remember about the gauntlet is, and do you guys know about this? The bus scene at the end of the gauntlet. I don't remember. It. Yeah, wow. it looks like it, it seems like a a well fortified bus. No, not at all. So no? okay, because oh. so. 
the deal and the movie sets this up so poorly. I mean, the movie's just joke. There is one really cool effect where a helicopter is chasing them. The action in this movie is so dumb. A helicopter is chasing them while they're trying to escape on a motorcycle, and the helicopter uh, <laughs> crashes into some high wires, some high uh, like uh, electricity wires, right? Um, and the way they do it is they show Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke on the motorcycle in the foreground, and in the background, you see the helicopter blowing up in the wires. Like, it's not like a separate second unit shot, or it's not like a special effect. It's a full-sized helicopter, and I looked this up. They had an empty helicopter that they actually just rammed and blew up into some wires. So it's a practical effect of Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke looking at an actual helicopter slamming into uh, power lines and blowing up. It looks really cool. Um, But so at the end of the movie, uh, they have to get – and it's so dumb. Like the the chief of police in Phoenix, uh, the cops in Phoenix will do anything for him apparently. I mean this movie just stretches all plausibility by the time it's over. So he doesn't want Sandra Locke to get to the courthouse where she can uh, you know, testify and and – Apparently, she was abused while she was a prostitute by some high-level politician, and it's somehow going to bring down the mob. It's a little unclear, but we know that the chief of police in Phoenix (laughs) is crooked. He doesn't want her to get to the the courthouse, so he tells the cops uh, because Clint Eastwood has called in. He said, I'm bringing her to the courthouse. This is the route I'm taking. So he tells the cops to to basically ambush them on that route. The Phoenix Police Department, uniformed policemen uh, are told, yeah, this guy is a criminal. He's trying to get – I mean actually I don't know what they're told, but the the conceit is that Clint Eastwood has to get her through this gauntlet of gunfire. And there's even a terrible scene where the toady advising the chief of police says, "Uh, here's what we do. Rather than ambush him on the freeway, we'll clear out the city and we'll set up a bunch of cops – a gauntlet, if you will, to shoot uh, the bus. <laughs> he even says that, a gauntlet, if you will. Um, so at any rate, Clint Eastwood – That should have been part of the title too, <laughs> if you will. Uh, so Clint Eastwood knows this is coming, so he, he just uh, makes a little pig iron uh, enclosure around the driver's seat. The rest uh, of the bus is just normal. It was the uh, 70s VIN, or Burt Reynolds was too, but go on. Sorry. 70s VIN? Yeah, oh, Vin Diesel? Diesel? <laughs> I'll drive down a cliff. That's my solution. Well, the funny thing is they hijack the uh, the bus, and when Clint Eastwood knows he's going to have to get through gunfire, he takes the bus to some welder that he knows apparently, and he has all the people – Sounder Locks having uh, them at gunpoint. He makes them all get off the bus while they set uh, up this welding thing in there, and there's all these like people standing around like, what are you doing? And Sandra Locke has to hold the gun on them, and it's super wacky. It's comic. So anyway, he sets up this little pig iron nest in the the front of the bus, and he drives it through this gauntlet. And, well, and that's the way what I meant when I said it was fortified. It, that's just a mental right. image I have of that welding. Yeah, yeah, and not the bus itself, because the bus itself is just a regular bus. And what they do for the scenes is they literally have. It's got to be at least 100 extras, maybe 200, lining the streets like like they're there to watch a parade, just shoulder <laughs> to shoulder, and the bus slowly drives between them and at a certain point a guy with a bullhorn says fire and all of these cops some of them have their service revolvers some of them have automatic rifles some of them have shotguns just start opening fire and it looks like because they're all in a line it looks like something like from some revolutionary war napoleonics like (laughs) reenactment of just all the smoke (laughs) popping up as as one line fires simultaneously and they all empty into this bus 
and the bus just slowly moves through and, and there's like there's like 15 minutes of footage of this bus getting shot yeah. up. Uh, and the you <laughs> know the, the Eastwood coverage. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Um, and I just remembered it being really cool as a kid and like, oh my god, that bus is still going. Yeah. Uh, but what's it. what's stupid about it is and they do this earlier in the movie too, where they shoot up a house and they shoot up why why is anybody shooting at the back of the bus? Like all the bullet holes, like it's right. basically they just shoot the bus equally everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. Shoot out the tires. Concentrate your fire where you know the driver right. is. Like but but in order to make it look more dramatic, and I don't know if this is Eastwood or his visual effects coordinator or his stuntman or whatever, they just equally spread gunfire all over the bus to make it look like all Swiss cheesy. Uh, yeah. and it just makes no sense. But at any rate, so the bus barely makes it to the courthouse. And you're, you know, you're thinking, well, he's screwed. He's going to get out of the bus, and they're going to shoot him. But for some reason, that's not explained. They don't. Mm. He gets out of the bus, and they're like, oh, I guess he right. made it. He should have just that's, hung out there. Right. And the, and the thing yeah. is, like, there's nothing like, well, okay, if he crosses this line, he's he can't be t-. like he just the bus pulls up and he gets off of it, and he basically explains to them. I'm not crooked. It's the chief of police. And the chief of police comes running out. And he's like, you guys shoot him, shoot him, kill her. Uh, and so she takes a gun and the, the cops are literally at this point standing around them. They're like in a ring of cops. Yeah. It's, like a, it's like a fight club. Like you're going to watch two people fight. Right. She has the gun and she shoots the chief of police right. in the middle of what? hundreds all of armed cops. cops. All of these cops have their guns out too. They're standing around watching Sandra Locke shoot the chief of police. Well, Clint Eastwood told them that it was okay. Right, so. right. And and never mind the fact, by the way, <laughs> that they're shooting at that whatever she shoots, like there's nowhere she can shoot where the bullet won't eventually hit a policeman. <laughs> like it makes no sense. Dude, uh, I love the seventies. It's so great. They don't ne- that shit never happened. Remember in Silver Streak and they like crash the train into that like shopping center and then they just get off of it. Gene Wilder and Joel Claire were like, huh, that was crazy. And then like we don't know how many people are dead, or if, if any. And then Richard Pryor like drives up in a stolen car, and he's all beep beep. He just stole it from the ball. And I'm like these guys just crashed the train, and now they're stealing a car too, and they're just get, being let it go. Like, all right, good work. Bye. Now, see, my thing there, Kelly Wan, I would say that's a comedy, so I don't mind that. In this, it's not trying to be a comedy, and and actually the bus scene, and this is why it's my second favorite uh, bus scene. The bus scene of the bus getting shot up aside from how poorly staged it is, in concept is really cool. And it's like watching Sorcerer. We've just got this loving footage of these trucks uh, struggling through the jungle. There's a little bit of that sensibility watching this bus sort of limp down the street as it's getting shot up. And there's, you know, it goes on for a while. It's the, it's, it's basically the reason for this movie to exist is because somebody had an idea. What if this bus had to make it through this gauntlet of gunfire? Uh, right. And this is too what I remembered. There is a poster. The poster for the gauntlet has the bus like tilting and it's on rubble. And Clint Eastwood is standing and his chest is thrust out and he's got a gun. And Sandra Locke is kind of kneeling at his feet, like grabbing his leg and her clothes are torn. Oh, like Conan. It's a Frank Frazetta poster, literally. Like they got Frank Frazetta to do the poster for the gauntlet. Um, They make the movie look as good as the poster was the issue. He's not shooting back. The the poster's better than the movie because right, right. Oh, the poster. The poster. He's driving off screen. Right, and then the poster too doesn't like. It's a spoiler. Also, I guess that's that. You just reminded me of something else. Oh, that's interesting. 
Well, you you can't choose the gauntlet as your number two pick. Things, no, I was mine. thinking of a different movie. All right. Clint needs Nobody's food badly. <laughs> By the way, you, that thing that you're talking about, like a, like a dude just slapping a woman indiscriminately, like, like they could just get away with that. Then uh, I'm I'm I happen to be watching an anime series. Um, They're called Cartoon Stingers. Called uh, Rurouni Kenshin, where it just seems like any time anybody feels like it, they just slap a girl. Like a like. Just these these huge guys will be like, "Don't talk to me, you little girl," and they'll just smack her. I mean, it just seemed like, and this is like in the mid to late nineties, I think. Well, just, is this anime too? Is this? It's anime. Yeah. yeah, anime has its own issues, but yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. But it's just it's just so weird to see girls just getting smacked around who are defenseless. Um. Well, it's how it was, man, and she was a prostitute. And it was the 70s. But also, Clint Eastwood was amazing as Legolas. <laughs> well, Kelly Wand, what is an amazing bus scene? Oh. Okay, my number two bus scene in a movie. <laughs> Do you remember Nightmare on El- or excuse me, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 at all? It's Not kind of the, really. one of the least memorable ones. It's, uh, it's one where... There's no – it's one where it's just like a guy – let me start all over. Here's what happens. Okay. <laughs> the guy who plays Fred Krueger, Robert Englund, he's like – it opens with him driving a school bus and all these people getting off. And then like a kid who's kind of crisp and glovery is sitting in the back. And these two <laughs> girls are like giggling and making fun of him going, look, it's creepy boy over there. And then suddenly the bus misses a stop and it starts driving super fast. And then you see that it's – Fred Krueger's claws on the gear shift, and the music's all, uh-oh, look what's happening. And then <laughs> he drives off into the desert, the school bus, and then the kid looks down, and they're, Fred Krueger's driven them to hell, and the bus is, like, teetering on this spire of rock, even though Fred Krueger's in there, too, which seems kind of dumb. And the girls are screaming, and the kid's trying to open the window, but he can't. Although, what's he going to do if he opens the window, really? And then the reason I like it is the movie's about Fred Krueger trying to turn that kid into him. It's one of those kind of movies. And so it's like, I like that that's his opening move to entice him into, hey, I got, you want to you want to see what real, real cool is? Be a school bus driver and you can drive those bitchy girls to hell. <laughs> Stick them on a rock and then they'll scream. <laughs> Did Wes Craven do uh, Nightmare on the Street 2? No, he didn't. Oh. All right. Just how neat him. And there's never a yeah, that's true. Dingus, what's your second favorite bus scene in a movie? Uh, well, you invoked it a moment ago, so uh, the quote would be, "Jack, you're a grown man. You have control over your own words." You got don't get on right. a bus in Midnight Run. I uh, so here come two words for you. Shut the fuck up. Oh, uh, that's on a bus. That's right. I can see yeah. it. Or, no, is it a train or a bus? Dingus, I think you should maybe see that movie again to be sure. It's actually on a submarine, which is weird. Seaman <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack. All right, so yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely on a bus because um, they have to leave the train because Dorfler. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's his name. Um, uh, tracks them to the train, and that's where you get the quote. Uh, his real name is Mosley. I'm Mosley. Uh, they've jumped to the train and now they have to go on a bus. And then they, you have the uh, 
the scene in the train station where Jack's credit card has been canceled because of Marvin Dorfler uh, canceling it for him. And he has to pay with cash, and then they get on the bus. And one of the, again, this is one of the things I love about bus scenes is that is how that how scrunched they are. It, at least for these two picks, because uh, the, these are two grown men in these tiny little seats. It's the way airlines work today, basically, but they didn't used to work that way. But um, the, these guys are scrunched on a bus, and Jack Walsh is smoking a cigarette he's lighting up a cigarette and jonathan Mardukas is complaining about him smoking and just need it's just needling him about smoking you know he's he's already been bothering him about eating fried chicken on the train but now that they're on a bus and he's smoking on a bus he's like this is terrible for you when's the last time you had a lung x-ray you understand that there's such a thing as secondhand smoke and he's and he's just bothering him because they're sitting on this bus to Chicago. They're going, they're getting their way to Chicago. And then he starts talking about, this is where he starts to find out about. And, and the reason this is important is that they're in this contained little space on this bus in this, in this drive. And, um, this is where he finds out about, uh, about Jack's emotional difficulties about him being divorced and having a daughter and saying to him, well, we should really go by and see them. And Jack saying, uh, well, no, we're not going to do that. I do have people who love me. It's my, my you know, my ex-wife and my daughter. And, uh, when's the last, how do they put up with your sarcasm? Well, it's easy. They haven't seen me in nine years. Well, since we're going to be in Chicago, we're going to be close to them. We should stop by and see them. Well, I'm not that popular with the Chicago police department. And then he starts to find out, Oh, wait, you know about Jimmy Serrano. You know about this this character who's trying to kill me. You know everything about this. And and there's no way that Jack Walsh can escape this situation because it's a packed bus. They're stuck in these seats together. He's smoking and they're having this conversation. And they're contending with each other while as well, you know, kind of bonding during this trip. Um, so th- that's one of the reasons I love this because it feeds off the bus pulls into this very famous bus station uh, in Chicago that you've seen in numerous movies um, where there's the showdown between uh, the feds and Jimmy Serrano's men who are trying to shoot and kill uh, Jonathan Mardukas. Um, and then the, and, and so there's this gunfight that happens when the bus gets there. And of course, Jack and, and John or the Duke go off to, uh, to Jack's house. To, to Jack's wife, ex-wife's house, and there's a very emotional scene there. But there's a, the, it's just this great bit of of male bonding and back and forth and anger and trying to manage that anger on the bus. All right, what, what's the movie again? You didn't say the name of the movie. It's called uh, The Hunt for Red October. I actually don't think you did say the name of the movie, did you? Oh, it's Midnight Run. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, we all knew. Well, but... you you said Midnight Run earlier. I figured that. Right. Yeah, right. I, I figured that other people bring it up. Uh, okay, my number one favorite bus scene, and uh, it's it's just because it's so horrific, and the way that Adam McGoyan shoots it, it just makes it even harder to watch, uh, is, of course, the Sweet Hereafter bus scene, um, which is, gets set up throughout the movie with you're, – you're meeting the characters in the bus, you're meeting the bus driver, and when you actually see the accident – uh, Adam McGoyan doesn't give you the luxury of being there with them. He takes you – to Bruce Greenwood's view, who is driving along behind the bus. And watching it go over the road, over the guardrail, is horrific enough. But then it skids out on the lake 
and it's a beautiful long shot too of this snowy lake and the bus and there's this brief moment of oh well they're okay you know the bus didn't roll over blow up or anything and then the ice breaks and that's just so horrific to watch god i can see that in my head and he doesn't let us get close to it like he we have to watch it from as far away as bruce greenwood and his kids are on the bus uh from as far away as he has to watch it so helpless yeah yeah do you uh, did you uh, do you hear it i I can't remember you hear it i just remember the visual of it so i kind of almost wish this wasn't done you hear the kids screaming and it's obviously like a post it it almost sounds like roller coaster <laughs> effects like oh, no. uh, and it, i'm not sure that it entirely worked because I, I think just letting it be quiet my, i don't know i don't want to second guess adam mcgoyan and i think sweet hereafter is tremendous like i yeah adam mcgoyan has made so many horrible movies that sometimes it's hard for me to to imagine oh yeah that's the guy that did sweet hereafter um but no you you hear I, I think there might be like a crack but most of the sound in the scene is the is kids screaming uh, I don't remember I, that at all that's interesting I shouldn't be laughing at cuz it's not funny um, Kelly Wand I have a question <laughs> for you What what is your favorite bus scene in a movie My favorite bus scene in a movie is from the 1975 film The Big Bus starring <laughs> Joseph Bologna Wait a minute you're just making this up <laughs> Have you guys seen it? It's, I don't it's even know who Joseph Bo- Joseph Bologna is not a real person. He's the guy who uh, has he's Demi Moore's dad in uh, Blame It on Rio, and he's G-Wow. oh okay, well that makes oh sense. he always plays the douche. No, no, friend. I could actually kind of see it. Who? Yeah, because Michael Caine has an affair with his his, his daughter, right? Yeah. Wait, and Demi Moore main... is the chick in Blame It on Rio. He she's the friend. She's the oh she's not she's Michael. Oh, I see. She's watching it happen, going, ugh. Okay, okay. Stupid Michael Caine. But is Joseph Bologna the guy, Michael Caine's friend, whose daughter Michael Caine has an affair with? Okay, I I do know who the guy is. I can see him, yeah, yeah. But he's the Robert Hayes figure in The Big Bus. And it's weird, too, because there's a Macho Grande subplot even, but it's, it's, it's Mount Diablo, and so everyone's always picking on Joseph Bologna's driver character. It's a disaster movie? Yeah, it's a parody of disaster movies before Airplane. Oh, it's a parody of. Oh, I didn't realize this. I've never oh, even heard of this. Uh, Thing is, you, you don't know the Big Bus. No. Oh, it's not that good. It's it's just weird that it exists. It's kind of like watching Dark Star before Alien because it's kind of the it's like pre Airplane, Airplane, and but it's like not as good, and the jokes aren't as good, and the and it doesn't have Leslie Nielsen, so it's like you can see what Airplane could have been like, like a is shitty it, version of Airplane. It's it the same kind of goofy humor. Yeah, and so his and so Joseph Bologna's character, like his like his macho grande was there was a a bus he was driving a bus on something called Mount Diablo and it crashed <laughs> and uh, there was some cannibalism and he's all I only ate a foot and then yeah <laughs> who it is. There's a character on the bus. It's like a. It's like it's. It's actually in a way a better parody of Airport because all the character, all the characters on the bus are like those kind of lame '70s cliches. Like there's a quarreling couple, like Richard Mulligan and Sally Kellerman. They're like they're constantly fun. Like shut up, bitch! And he like throws a drink <laughs> in her face, and then they start making out like at the banquet at the bus driver's table. There's like a parody of the captain's table, but it's like Joseph Bologna's. Uh, taglines. I only ate a foot. I only ate one foot. That's all I had on Mont, uh, Mount Diablo. 
What's the disaster that uh, that befalls them in the big bus? Like, what's the disaster? Uh, something the- to do with the engine, and then like his co-pilot is kind of like the the guy in airplane two who's mustached, and he turns out to be a coward, and his name's Shoulders, and they go, "Oh, is it because uh, you got you got broad shoulders?" And he's like, "No, it's because I always drive on the shoulders." And then he's he's also narcoleptic, and he just falls asleep a lot. So why don't they just pull the bus over? And get everyone They're off. on like a cliff or something, <laughs> or there's a bomb. But there's like a uh, the scene I'm picking is. Do you remember that show uh, Holmes and Yo Yo with John Schmuck <laughs> as a robot in the 70s? I it's do not. Show. Wow. I don't so think any of this is real. The guy who played Holmes. It sucks too. I'm making it sound really good. But there's a uh, oh yeah, and that guy from Benson, Rene Aubergenois, is right. on it. Aubergenois, yeah. And he's a priest who's losing his faith. And there's a scene where Ruth Gordon's like, "I'm glad you're here." Yeah, Ruth Gordon's one of the passengers too, and she's like, "I'm glad you're here, Father. I'm really worried." And he's like, "I don't believe in a god. So where's your faith now, old woman?" And he's like mocking her. But there's also a piano player named Tommy Choice. <laughs> and the Holmes and Yo-Yo guy, his plot line is, uh, I only have six months to live. And uh, he's, I'm going to start see the seven wonders of the world. I'm going to start with the Rockies. And they're like, that's not one of the seven wonders. <laughs> oh, no, what? But All so right. The, the, oh, go ahead. So the piano player, well, I'm setting up that character. So the piano player goes, All right, who's here today? And he's like, yeah, I got six months to live. And then the piano player does this song. He's like, six months to live, forget Christmas. And he just does like this cool song about six months to live. Time choice. That's my number one. Time choice. Right. Big More bus. Plus. Yeah, big bus. All right, good. Rene Abergenois was in um, Certain Match. Women, by the way, which neither of you have seen. Certain Women? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you were just telling me to watch that. Yeah. The next last, time you like tell two me years ago. No, wasn't it like a week ago? Anyway, the big bus, Dingus. Big bus. Dingus, what is the best you thought of this <laughs> this topic? So obviously you have special insight into what the best bus scene in all of moviedom is. What would that be? I do, but first Kelly saying I but I only ate a foot. Yeah. I think that's hilarious. Reminds me of a joke a friend of mine told. Uh, but you, but you fuck one goat. Uh, <laughs> uh, you murder anyway. and rape one kid. <sighs> so here's a quote from my number one. I love this bus scene so freaking much. I love this movie so freaking much. Um, all right. So uh, the quote is, so tell me about her, the girl you write these songs for. No. Come on. What, sh- what did she do to you? And so the movie is the movie Once, um, directed by this guy named John Carney, also 2007, also Sundance. And um, what what I love about it is that it's a little different than the other two scenes I chose because on this production, which was much lower budget than either uh, than Midnight Run, definitely, and even lower than Rocket Science. They they could afford like one extra on the bus, <laughs> uh, and it's one woman on the bus, and she's she when she's supposed to be mad, she's rather amused, which is sort of endearing. Um, but they're they're on the bus for a specific purpose because he's a busker, um, uh, the dude, and 
he, which means in, in Ireland, he's a he's a street performer basically, uh, and the two of them meet, and she finds out that his day job is fixing vacuum cleaners, um, and <laughs> so she asks him to if she can bring her vacuum cleaner to him so that he can diagnose what's wrong with it and help her get it fixed. And so she shows up when he's, uh, you know, on the street playing his guitar. He's a guitarist who writes songs. Um, and really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being coy about their names cause they're really just listed as guy and girl. Uh, but it's Glenn Hansard and Marquetta Erglova. Uh, so she brings her vacuum cleaner to him in the middle of the day, and he's like, I can't do this now. I don't have any of my tools with me. And they end up having this really great uh, bonding moment where they go into a music store and they play music together. And so they get on, because neither of them have any money, uh, they have to take bus transit to get to, uh, you don't know this at the time where they're going, but basically they're going to after this moment where they've gone and he's decided, okay, I'll fix your vacuum cleaner. Fine. Uh, they're going to his father's vacuum cleaner shop and she's asking him these questions as they sit on the bus and they're riding on this bus to go fix her uh, sad little Hoover vacuum cleaner. Um, uh, she's asking him about this girl that he's written these songs for. And he's, been constantly saying, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to tell you about her. I'm not going to tell you who she is. And I'm not going to tell you what happened. And she kind of pushes him a little bit. Come on, tell me, what did she do to you? And he can't talk about it. He can't tell her. So he, he's stringing his guitar as she's kind of pushing him on this question. And then he just starts singing. Once he gets his guitar, once he gets done fiddling with his guitar strings, he starts singing. He makes up three different songs, uh, to basically answer her question. And the first one is this great little funny song called Oh Broken Hearted Hoover Fixer Sucker Guy, uh, where he just paints himself as this sucker who fell for an average girl who broke his heart because, you know, she slept with one of his friends. Um, and then she asks him, where, well, where does she live now? And he sings a song, a little song about that, where she lives in London now in this little place near London. And she says, well, are you going to try to get her back? And he sings this really uh, um, vulgar song about, no, I'm not going to get her back. And this old woman on the bus, he's like, oh, sorry. And this old woman on the bus is supposed to be offended, but she's kind of amused, actually. So instead of being able to talk about it, they're on a bus. He's stringing his guitar. He's just not wanting to talk about this, so he sings about it instead. And I love that this takes place in a bus because the next scene is them getting to the dad's where where Glenn Hansard's character Guy works uh, fixing vacuum cleaners and getting there and fixing her vacuum cleaner. It's just this point of transit, but on the way he sings about his troubles rather than being able to monologue about them. But the song, in some ways, is a uh, is a kind of a monologue. Um, and I love the way that this this movie, which was, again, directed by John Carney, who also directed the excellent Begin Again, um, is is a musical in its way. Uh, 
I'm crazy about the movie once and watching this movie again this week and seeing the scene, I'm just so swept up in how their, their difficult romance develops and how he's trying to scrabble to make this, this career for himself. And, and he's so excellent. He's so good at what he does. And he has this sad guitar with a hole punched in it and strings just flying off the ends. Um, Anyway, I, I just love that this takes place on a bus. All right. Dingus, what are some bus scenes that listeners like? All right. So uh, Dave Perkins seems to have written a play for me to read. <laughs> Do Kelly and I have any lines in this? Um, not unless you can think of things that people would have said off screen in the movie 13 Hours. <laughs> So Dave's number one choice is uh, – I'm going to go – I thought it was uh, like two parts of a one-night play, so I'm starting with number one. I, I guess this is his one, number one choice, and this is from the movie 13 Hours, and he says these are scenes that were set off screen. Uh, make sure the Americans can see the bus skid to a menacing stop, <laughs> but then they can shoot the bus. That is okay, but the bus is full of explosives. Do not worry. Ibrahim and Hassan are going to unload them. Ooh, okay. Those guys are not the roundest cakes in the bakery. Later, American guy, hit the bus. Over on the bus. Hassan, Ibrahim, I said pick up the box on three, not after. Th so I don't know if uh, you're, you haven't seen 13 Hours. Is this Kelly, a John right? Landis movie? No. No, it is. sounds zany. It is not zany. This is Dave Perkins' your take on it. This is a Michael Bay movie. Uh, right. I talked about it a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's not really though, Dingus. <laughs> who, 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 what is it? No, no, I'm, I'm just giving. I mean, it, it's, it's when people Burton. say, "No," when people, you know what? I would, I would. Michael Bay did direct it, but when people talk about a Michael Bay movie, I, I think that right. the expectations are not what you get in 13 hours is not what you get when you say oh, okay. a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> so it's not a Michael Bay movie, but it's a movie that was directed by Michael Bay. There you go. Exactly, Dingus. That's the better way to put it. Oh, so like right. pain and gain. So, exactly. Yes. So they. So. Uh, so at the in the assault on the embassy, they they bring in this this bus that has a bunch of uh, ordnance on it, and um, and it comes under he heavy fire, uh, and it's a it's a pretty spectacular scene. Um, so that's Dave's choice for his number one. Uh, his number two bus scene. Dave, by the way, I, I think Dave should see Four Four Lions. Is that the name of it? The thing with Riz Ahmed. That, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, you're right. And Dave Perkins, check out Four Lions right up your alley. Yeah, good, good choice. Uh, Dave's number two choice is a couple of lines from it. Jack, you're a grown man. You have control over your own words. We said this. You got him ready to do. Here's two words for you. Shut the fuck up. Uh, from the same scene on the bus in Midnight Run. I love the line. What do we? What do we know each other? Uh, and that is great. The way the way De Niro delivers that line. What do we know each other? I mean, the the way the the two of them play those scenes, and to think that Robin Williams was almost the one who was going to play the Charles Grodin part. Every time I watch this movie, I think, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, because having read uh, Charles Grodin's uh, what his, the first part of his memoir, which is it would be so nice if you weren't here, uh, and describing the audition process and the filming process, Robin Williams was very close to getting that part. Um, so, so Dave says, 
Uh, I would imagine that you have already discussed this scene, Christian, but other people are allowed to love this movie, too. You're right, Dave. Other people are. Uh, John Renninger says, The best scene on a bus features Philip Bosco as a fastidious bus driver that repeatedly asks for exact change and for... (laughs) Okay, this is good. And for everyone to stay behind the white line while ta- while taking bank robbers Bill Murray, Gina Davis, and Randy Quaid to near the airport in the movie Quick Change. Ah, uh, it's a good choice. <laughs> that is a good choice. I forgot about that. Good it's an choice, John. Movie. Oh yeah, you know, the crying on the inside kind, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the the bus was behind schedule when a stone hip stoner hipster couldn't board the bus because the guitar in his back was horizontal, which repeatedly kept him from fitting through the door. Um, so John Renniger's next choice is in planes, trains, and automobiles. Uptight Steve Martin tries to start a sing along with three coins in a fountain, which nobody on the bus knows, and John Candy has to jump in and save him with. Meet the Flintstones. Uh, John Renniger's third uh, choice is I couldn't think of another one besides the speed bus jumping the gap on the highway, which I'm sure everybody picked. Uh, Patrick Mullen is next um, because Chris said Dingus would dig it. It happened one night. <laughs> dig that. Claudette Colbert. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that one guy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is it Clark? No, who is the dude in it? Someone Clark famous, Kent. right? Oh, it is Clark. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Clark Kent. He's another guy like Burt Reynolds. He just thinks he's so cool. I think he's a dork. He's a schlub, also. What? You don't like the mustache people? You Ooh, know what? Clark- Maybe that's it, Kelly Wand. Maybe it is the mustache. Hate mustaches. Did you like Lando Calrissian in Empire Strikes Back? Or no, what? he thought he was he's so cool. cool, Mr. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like Magnum PI? No. Uh, Do you like any mustache actors at all? I'm trying to think. No. Or actresses. Howard Keel. In no, I, don't, I don't think. Yeah, I can't think of anybody who has a mustache who shouldn't shave it. Who I don't watch and think shave that Stan off. Lee. It's not as, it's like not as cool Lee? as you look. As you think you look. Uh, Stan Lee, exactly. You, I rest my case. What about Chris Pratt in uh, Infinity War? It's not just a mustache though. Like if you've got facial hair, that's fine. But when you have just the mustache, that's dumb. Get, get what about of. Sam Elliott? What about Adolf Hitler, Kelly Wand? Ooh. Well. What about Charlie Chaplin? I had to do the nuclear option when you brought up Sam Elliott, so fair point. What about Sam Elliott looks really weird without his mustache. That's (laughs) true, he does. Okay, I just won't, yeah. Did Godwin have a mustache? Maybe. Maybe. So anyway, Soren Hugland's (laughs) choices. Welcome to my world, dingus. (laughs) Uh, Hi, guys. There will be no quotes because I went in a particular direction with this one, and verbalizing quasi-erotic fight grunts are for Kelly Wand's topics. Oh, I think I know what he's going to pick. Number three, the transporter. Yeah, shirtless. Uh, Yeah. The knife fight (laughs) on the bus. And that's just Statham that Tom's... It's not as cool because after the bus scene, he gets, he, he like rolls around in oil. Yeah. Including me, mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like John Waters' mustache? Exactly, right? It's so creepy. Nobody with just a mustache isn't creepy except Sam Elliott. Uh, interesting. 
The knife bite on the bus. This was the first thing that came to mind. It's a fun use of a bus interior, but it's slightly diminished by A, Jason Statham being so totally in control in the scene, so there's very little tension, and B, being in so close close proximity to the bit where he slathers motor oil, apparently it was actually chocolate, all over himself to fight better. (laughs) Wow. It really is funny. Like it, it, if you've seen, tra- like if you see Transporter before, you know who he is. It's kind of like, yeah, this guy's kind of badass. But I think after seeing Jason's Jason Statham's body of work and realizing that he's just got the two expressions, namely, I'm about to kick your ass, and his other expression, facial expression, is I just kicked your ass. Like those are the only two expressions he's got. That's and, still one. But the thing is, I don't think he's worked out his I just kicked your ass expression right. in Transporter. Those are his early days of his acting career. He only had the one expression back then. So, yeah. That's yeah. his blue steel. And I also am disappointed going back and watching it. He doesn't use the knife nearly enough. Stay like, I remembered, I remembered in, yeah, I remembered in Transporter that, that fight being super violent and an example of. What, wh- why, like it was R rated for, for specifically, like that knife scene was one of the reasons that it was R rated. I think that scene is, is cited. But it's not, you know, a bunch of people get stuck with the knife, but it's not as violent or gory as I remembered. Uh, right. There's a bunch of like people using pipes and just kicking each other. I had remembered it being the, all about the knife, but the knife is just kind of incidental in a few, in a few bits. Hmm. And Soren is right. That whole thing about like if you've got a character who's so badass that it's so obvious that the stuntmen are just obligingly falling, pretending to get hit, and they're waiting yeah. for their turn. Like it's that stuff can look good as just choreography, but just there's no dramatic tension to it. Soren has an excellent point there. The mechanic too makes me feel sorry for guards. Like they just walk up and get shot by them. They're not even ready. They're like, what? Oh. <laughs> He's spinning around in, a, in that uh, dinghy and shooting them when he turns around. So he it works for him, but they can't shoot when they see him. <laughs> Do you remember what I'm that's, talking about? Never mind. That's why the red circle in John Wick is a modern erotic classic. I don't know what that is. All right. I'm so confused by Dingus. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm just tired and he's saying smart things and I'm just dumb. But, no, it's me. Uh, Soren Hoagland's number two is a movie called Headshot. My favorite description of this movie is Jackie Chan trapped trapped in a snuff movie. Hmm. So with that in mind, picture the raids, the raids, Iko Uias inside a bus, having been doused in gasoline, fighting with a bunch of goons over a lighter. Hilarity slash bone crunching violence ensues. It sounds awesome. I'd like to see Jackie Chan in a Saw movie. Like he has to like. It's not Jackie. Like he's saying it. It's a Thai movie, I believe. It's not Jackie Chan though. It's like a uh, guy who's like. It's the Thai version of, of Jackie Chan. Yeah, it's Jack. It's it's uh, Eco Ice. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's Pad Jackie Chan. Kelly Wan, that's racist. What? There is 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 that the is one it? where they have the beach fight at the end? You guys wouldn't know, would you? No. That's Mission Impossible 2, brah. No, if it's the one I'm thinking of, there's an incredibly hot model throughout most of the movie who plays one of the, the antagonists. And the big climactic battle, like the finale of the movie, is this guy fighting her but not wanting to injure her, but she wants to kill him. Uh, 
and it's actually it's done pretty well, but it's one of those things like where he's obviously like a super trained martial artist slash stuntman, and she's just a beautiful model. Uh, but he does a good job. It's sort of like watching watching someone who's it, it, you know when we saw uh, what's it what's Gina Carano with yeah Gina Carano with Michael Fassbender movie that Steven Soderbergh did Haywire. Yeah, Haywire. Like, Michael Fassbender is so generous with her. He's a really good actor, and he kind of elevates her by letting her have Literally. sort of the scene and deferring to, yeah, and deferring to her. And it's, it's, it's a physical version of that in this fight scene at the end of Headshot, where the guy is just so obviously athletic and good at fighting. She's not as strong, but he's got to make it look like – he just does a really good job of making her look good. And she's so generous. Yeah, it's so not- distractingly hot too. Like it's really hard to watch. It's like I, I can't. I don't want to watch a fight scene. I just want to admire this beautiful woman. You guys stop fighting. Stand still for a while. Or, <laughs> it's just really or fight more. <laughs> Get her sweatier. She's all. It's, it's, it's a beach. She's all like wet and sand. Like they roll around in the water and everything. It's pretty pretty hot. Wait, yeah. how's it end? Beep, beep, um, sorry. I think. Well, he doesn't obviously die. Like good, good lord, I couldn't even tell you, Kelly. I, it's one of those movies like the raid. I have no idea what's going on. It's obviously like it really wants to do a plot. And I think he's even the, one of the guys from The Raid. <laughs> it really wants to do a plot and have meaningful character development. And it's all just so awkward and weird. And I'm just waiting for the next fight scene. Uh, yeah, in the end, it's just basically pornography. Porn- <laughs> Dingus, I don't know. <laughs> have you ever they, seen pornography? <laughs> yeah, they want to have a plot. Like, I brought this pizza. I can't pay Oh, for I see it. what you're saying. Right, you right, know. right, right. Uh, yeah. It, huh. but, right, yeah, right. I, it's not uh, quite that bad, but along those lines, you, you don't show up to watch the plot. You show up to watch the fight scenes. Yeah. Exactly. So that's I what like I was going for with my analogy. <laughs> okay, Soren's number one. Sorry, Soren. We've littered your picks with terrible jokes from me. Uh, number one, the villainess. This one has its share of balls to the wall action scenes but the one where the titular character jams a water bottle on the accelerator of a stolen car so she can launch herself axe in hand onto a bus and have and then have a fight through it and then crash it on one terrific faux one take might just take the fucking cake cheers soren so i've never seen the villainous i have no idea what that is Water bottle. That's pretty creative. Uh, the villainous. I I, I want to see it, but the, the very like the villainous is one of those movies where you watch the opening scene and you're like, okay, this is what I'm in for. Like it is so upfront in terms of what it's going <laughs> to deliver. And the opening scene, it's it's just this crazy one take first person perspective, insane fight scene. Uh, you know, people talk about the the hammer scene in Old Boy. It's 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 that amped up uh, exponentially. Oh, so it's good. It's a good opening. Oh, it's a crazy good opening. Yeah, it's an amazing opening, and I can't imagine the rest of the movie can can top what we've just seen. I, I just was so exhausted after the beginning of that. I was like, I'm okay, done. I'm going to finish watching this some other time. Now back to Hot Pursuit. It's <laughs> <laughs> up my speed right now. Uh, huh. All right, next we have Arthur Giovangeli. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. His number three pick is Children of Men. Clive Owen, Pam Ferris, and Claire Hope Ashaday are on a bus when Ashaday begins having contractions. Ferris fakes insanity to distract a guard to get... Okay. Ferris fakes insanity to distract a guard, get taken off the bus, a move that allows Owen and Ashaday to make it to the camp and find a place to deliver the baby. Right, right, right. I do remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh. Um, Arthur's number two is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh. Which I'm sure Tom <laughs> immediately knows. Uh. After Harry Potter angrily inflates oh. his Aunt Marge, he flees for Privet Drive and... Uh-huh. Large Marge. <laughs> it's anime for English people. Uh, and Hello. he flees for Privet Drive oh, and finds himself alone in the street. After he is startled by his godfather Sirius Black in Animagus form as a dog, he accidentally summons the night bus, a magical bus that helps stranded witches and wizards. On the night bus, this is spelled K-N-I-G-T. Oh, the Quidditch! The Knigget bus. <laughs> the snake. The stinker. The slips. What is it? The Quidditch! What's the, the Quidditch thing called? <laughs> Stupid ball. You think Dingus and I know? <laughs> I wanted to trick Dingus into saying it. I don't think Dingus, Dingus. Yeah. Do you know that stuff, Dingus? Uh, I, I read up to the Prisoner of Alcatraz. Yeah, me too. And then I went, all right, I get it. I was like the opposite of what Tom did with uh, what he was talking about. Where he, the first scene grab, grabs him and he stops. <laughs> this, this isn't very interesting to me. I'll keep reading well, it. I couldn't stop reading. <laughs> I couldn't read another instance of of her writing uh, bottle brush tail or uh, bare black eyes or whatever. She she would use the same things over and over again. It just drove me nuts. And it was all bees. It was just it, it was it was a bunch of uh, weird alliteration that was just terrible. Uh, Dingus, that's how but, magic works. Yeah. Little little ding, ding, boom, boom. See, <laughs> turned into a toad, Dingus. How do you feel? Well done. So Arthur's really into the Harry oh, Potter oh, movies. Oh. It sounds like. Apparently, oh. he loves them. Stumping Dumbledore and stupid Pishon Pomprinch. So nice. I have no idea what the the little snitch. I don't know what it's ah. called. Thing. He said it. Gotcha. Grab the stingus. On the night bus, Harry Potter meets Stan Shunpike. (laughs) It is anime. British. British. The conductor and Ernie the driver. The bus then takes Harry to the leaky cauldron in London in Uh, a pretty spectacular manner. The bus, uh, which is a triple decker. Travels incredibly fast, all while using magic to weave through traffic and move obstacles out of its way. Even though the ride is far from smooth, Harry safely reaches his destination where Cornelius Fudge, the Minister for Magic. Hear that, Tom? Cornelius Fudge is not an alliteration. Also, unexpectedly chop. Cornelius Fudge. Uh, Arthur's number one choice is Napoleon Dynamite. Um, When Napoleon's family need more meat, they ask a friend, Lyle, to shoot and butcher one of their cows. Lyle decides to do this early in the morning when Napoleon is waiting for the school bus. Due to his gun jamming, Lyle ends up shooting the cow at the exact moment that the school bus pulls up to the bus There's a hilarious shot of the inside of the bus and all the horrified yet fascinated students <laughs> screaming while crowded around the windows for a better view. I laughed so hard I cried. Thank you, Arthur. Oh, um, Chris Webb is next. He titles his when the the wheels on the three-way three go round and round. Aw. Wheels on the bus go round and round. La, la, la. 
number three, if Kelly Wan wants to talk about National Lampoon's senior trip for me, that's my number three. Otherwise, oh, who's your favorite girl in a the brunette uh, smart well, girl or the slutty chick whose catchphrases want to screw and then she like unzips. He's pulling Kelly Wan where he's sneaking in two picks. He says, otherwise, Beavis and Butthead do America. The great Cornholio rises. That's good, too. Jeremy Renner, uh, senior trip. That was... Uh, Chris Webb's number two is a movie called Pet. Hmm. The female lead in this movie is played by an actress who obviously showed up to her first audition alone because her name is Ksenia Solo. But, um, <laughs> oh, no, she... Uh... <laughs> yeah. An imperial officer was running the audition. Yeah. Oh, uh, never mind. I shouldn't tell that story. Uh, I didn't watch it in its. I didn't. I didn't like this movie enough to watch it in its entirety. Yeah, you missed the twist, then, Chris Webb. You know this movie? Yeah, it's a stupid horror movie. Uh, but there's a very uncomfortable bus scene where this shy guy awkwardly approaches a pretty girl. He recognizes her from high school, but she doesn't know who he is because they weren't even in the same grade, yada, yada. It has some relevance to the times because he ends up getting violent with her because she won't date him. I'm not sure if the movie knows that it's digging into an important topic, though. Maybe I should finish it. Uh, it's I, I mean, it's not worth watching. It's stupid. It's, so it's one of the Hobbit actors is in it and like uh, the guy from lost uh, i forget uh, mary or pippin uh, dominic monahan uh dominic dominic monahan is basically it's a it's, it's, a, it's a girl in the basement movie uh, and yeah it's i find those pretty uh, they're, of all they're, the places to take a girl <laughs> well they're up there with uh like slasher movies as far as being horror movies that i think are just creatively bankrupt and Captain. and so what they'll do is they'll the all of them will try to have some kind of a, a twist at the end where i mean the whole idea is i mean even he the whole idea is you, you watch like some poor woman locked in the basement and then there's some twist where oh but that's you know there was a reason for it or she deserved it or they're turning the tables and yeah she's in she puts him in the base. So I don't I don't mind ruining Pet, but Pet the whole idea is that she's actually a serial killer and he's doing it to save people. Uh, and well, and that's good. Yeah. Uh, there's another movie that uh, <laughs> called Ten by Ten, and I watched it because I like both of the actors in it. Kelly Riley is the girl locked in the room in this case. It's not a basement. And Luke Evans is the guy who kidnaps her. Oh. Um, oh. And it's it's stupid. Uh, but the whole idea is she is a. Spoiler. You know what? I don't want maybe people will actually want to watch that one. That one's not any good. But it's the whole idea is you, you have a, a supposedly sympathetic character like kidnaps and locks up a woman. And now the movie has to switch your sympathies. And that's the whole shtick. Uh, uh. And, and pet is a pet and 10 by 10 are both pretty crappy instances of it. Uh. Luke Evans makes me think again of uh, Superman. Superman. Yeah, because he was in a movie with Henry Cavill. But anyway, uh, oh. when you brought up Clark, the the name Clark before, I thought of Clark Kent and the school bus and that. But anyway, there's a they, school bus. The thing is, save it for the three by threes. Sorry. I, I mean, the, the runner's up. Yeah. The runner's up. All right. So uh, Chris Webb's number one. It happened one night. Wait, Chris <laughs> Webb can't. You can't. Oh, that's a good. Chris Webb, you can't talk about the relevance of Pet unless you watch the whole thing. You got to watch the twist ending. Jeez. Serial killer part. 
The actress in it is so bad, too. It's funny. <laughs> All right. All right. It happened Ooh, one night. Ksenia Solo. Ksenia Solo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we meet fun on the side, shapely, with accent on the fun, and hear the passengers sing a grandpa song together. To quote the great poet William Memesworth, find someone who despises you the way Claudette Colbert <laughs> despises Clark Gable. Yeah. In the movie, I mean, the first half. Sir Aphrodisiac. Uh, he's got some runners up, but I'm not going to read those. One of them is rocket science. Oh, good, Chris. Thank you. He's, he calls her sassy baby fat Anna Kendrick. How dare you? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, it's like frumpy dunst. You have sassy or, baby fat. Uh, fat Russell Crowe. Fat Russell Crowe, exactly. She's not sassy. fat at all. She looks no, great. It's baby fat. Sassy baby fat Anna Kendrick. All right. Yeah. He also has a suggestion for us uh, that we give us give them a heads up about our what we've watched at the beginning of these shows, like on Twitter or something, so that they can like maybe watch them before we talk about them. Uh, that makes but, sense. But that's Chris Webb's idea. All right, Chris, thank you. Yeah, that's finally true. It's probably boring. we have Chris Markinson. I don't think it's boring. It's just that they want to see him in advance. Chris Markinson, hey guys, here are some oh. scenes on buses that I like. Number three, need any help? Under the Skin, my favorite movie of 2014, has a scene on a bus with Scarlett Johansson and, to quote Kelly Wan, Jürgen Prock now. Chris I do love that pick because I, I would not have even thought of that. There's so many scenes on buses that, uh, even as we're talking, are constantly popping into my head. Um, so Chris Markinson's number two, Fight Club. The narrator rides alone on a bus that drops him off right in front of the house on Paper Street. As the narrator leaves the bus, the driver, who has a broken nose, gives the narrator a nod of the head. This was definitely a scene I appreciated more the second time I watched Fight Club. And Chris Markinson's number one, and I love this pick so much, and I know you guys will too, is Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. What? Those aren't buses. Those are spaceships. Jeez. What shenanigans is he trying to pull? (laughs) Well, on a bus, Kirk and Spock encounter a passenger playing very loud punk music. The passenger declines Kirk's request to turn the music off, and Spock has to take matters into his own hands or hand. Uh, this has been my favorite scene on a bus since first watching it in any theater with my mom when I was 11 years old. So, I mean, they're in San Francisco. They've been they've gone back in time to save the whales. And um, oh god, I can't believe this, you said that. that those what? words make they go back in time to save the whales. Yeah, yeah because that turns out trip. to make a big difference for the future so dumb if the whales go extinct back to life so they could do this you know what's better than that is the the origin of han solo's name Mm. going back in time to save the whales that's the plot of a star trek movie oh that's the part nicholas meyer wrote was the what's what's awesome is watching all these uh like like fat kirk swimming underwater with his girdle on it's great he has to swim underwater. That was the best reviewed one. Everyone's like, oh, Star Trek four, dude. And I was like, and then I watched it and I'm like, wait, do you like this better than Khan? Are you guys all stoned? Star Trek four was fine. All the even ones are good. It's wacky. There's like Chekhov's on a stretcher and they're doing like wacky music. That's what I remember about Star Trek four. Alameda. That's what I said. Alameda. 
<laughs> I went to find the nuclear vessels in Alameda. Uh, I like it when Scotty holds up a mouse and goes, computer. I like that. <laughs> a, a keyboard. How quaint. Yeah. And then he invents something. See, so, Tom, they're on a bus. Yes. And this right. punk rocker right. is playing something I, like I, I, Chris Markison explained it. I got it. Yeah. yeah I got and then the he had to sure. do the, he had to do a Jedi mind trick. Vulcan neck pinch. Right. Yeah. Vulcan they kill someone. Pinch. Isn't that causing a paradox? Uh, we have one fi- final uh, addition. Uh, Kiernan, uh, my son, asked that we include Spider-Man's bus trip on in Infinity War. <laughs> I should have stayed on the bus. <laughs> All right. The- do you guys have any runners up? Yeah, plenty. Uh, All right. Uh, where to start? So the cat bus in uh, my neighbor Totoro. I like the, just good, that whole – Flight of Fancy, uh, the uh, the ending of Force Majeure with the bus driving down the mountain on Ooh. the switchbacks. I love the role of the bus in that and how Ooh. how it's basically the yeah. Just I love that the that the movie ended that way with that bus that's, scene. Damn, Tom, that's a great um, choice. There's you actually Hot Pursuit. Oh, um, great choice. I. I yeah, I, I I wanted to pick dumb things that that, that right, I could well, talk about more because I don't I don't want to I, uh, I can get into a whole conversation enough. about the significance of that and how it ties into the movie, but Force Majeure Majeure is such rich discussion fodder and that, and that yeah. bus I think is a part of it and Very you know good. why it, why it ends the way that it ends is um is a big part of the experience and boy you know, and I feel yeah. I feel vertigo when you're talking about that yeah yeah yeah. Uh, I would also bring up um, because Kelly Wand got me thinking about this. I I couldn't bring myself to watch this whole thing, so I just looked up bits of it on YouTube. Communion is so awful. (laughs) But I remember the scene where where Christopher Walken freaks out on the bus and thinks that they're all aliens. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's like a lame Jacob's Ladder. It really is. And I I remembered him freaking out, but he doesn't. He just sees the girl as an alien and he kind of shakes his head. and He's like, you people, you think you're tricking. I mean, he's just he's like the crazy man muttering them to himself. And it's not a walking outburst. Crazy. Yeah. He's super weird in that movie. He is so weird. And that just that way weirder than the aliens. Yeah. <laughs> you watch the part where he, he meets the alien and he's wearing like a mustache and he's wearing like a suit and it's like a dream sequence and the aliens are yeah. dancing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep, and, and he's, he's, there's a scene where he's naked with the alien. There's that big weird alien face, and yeah, it's just and he acts super stoned. He's just like uh, you know, Kelly Wand. It, so <laughs> altered states does not hold up. Like altered states is just weird. Ken Russell, William Hurt, I think is trying hard, but he's terrible yeah. in it. Uh, uh, a wow. better a better version of what altered states is doing is Communion, because Communion. Maybe it doesn't realize it's ridiculous, it's, but it revels in its ridiculousness. It's funny as shit. I remember. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, that's what I was saying to watch it. Is like, it's not like a trippy, scary movie. It's fucking right. funny. And that's that's the thing is that uh, uh, Altered States. Altered States is trying to be a trippy, scary movie, and it's yeah. just kind of ridiculous at, at points. Like, yeah, it's, silly. it's boring, though. Yeah, yeah. You would think Ken Russell making a movie about that would be interesting, but there's too much Blair Brown Zoo bullshit. There that, was, remember, yeah, what? That, that, that caveman stuff is just uh, It's horrible. so dumb. I, yeah. yeah, and I remember that there was a place called the Hollywood Wax Museum, which was in Orange County for some fucking reason, and it was right. At, you would add to do it. It was right next to Knott's Berry Farm, so you'd hit it on the way out of Knott's Berry Farm, and there was like a horror Halloween themed 
attraction, and they did three movies in the horror <laughs> thing: Alien, Halloween, and Altered States. And there's like an Altered States <laughs> exhibit to scare you. And I'm like, what part? What the caveman? What am I scared of in an Altered States? Turning yeah. into protoplasm? <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> It's such a weird third thing, as opposed to like chainsaw or something. Right. Or the well, thing. That's, what, that's, yeah, what, that's what we had to watch back then, 1980. That was I horror know. for us. Yeah, yeah. Kind of miss sometimes. Uh, I I think this is minor bomb back, but I love the ending of Margot at the wedding, where she puts her son on a bus to basically send him away. Uh, spoiler, but but actually how that does and doesn't turn out. I love the ending of that. Uh, hmm. Uh, Cemetery Man has a great oh, bit yeah, yeah. where uh, a school bus crashes and and the town is is bereft because all the children have died and he just realizes oh god these kids are going to rise from the grave and then I'm going to have a busy night like to him it's just because he knows he's yeah. he's a cemetery keeper at a cemetery where everybody who gets buried rises from the dead and as a cemetery keeper it's his job to shoot him in the head and put down these zombies so yeah. this. This city, this town school bus goes over a cliff, and like twenty children have to be buried in a mass funeral. Uh, and he, everybody is super sad, and it's a super somber event. But he's just exasperated that he's going to have to deal with twenty zombies tonight. Did they just bury the school bus? Oh, I think you're right, Kelly Wand. Uh, I think I think that is yeah. Wow. Uh, Cemetery Man is at, at times very much a comedy. Yeah. Is that Anna Falci? Isn't she the Italian girl? Yeah, she's naked. Yeah, remember. I'm surprised Jeepers Creepers 2 wasn't your number one, but go on. What were you That's say? creepy. Uh-huh. I do like I the idea, that? though, of the monster. Uh, basically, you know, it's basically people trapped in a school bus while the monster flies around and terrorizes right. them. Right. Yeah. My only uh, alt was uh, Bachelor Party, because Tom Hanks is a uh, school bus driver, and he has a suicidal friend. And at the end of the movie is set in a movie theater, like a multiplex and the suicidal friend drives the school bus through the movie screen, and then the people wearing 3D glasses are like, whoa, that's crazy. And then it, one of the characters punches the chick in the face, <laughs> speaking of women getting beaten up, and uh, she's her head just gets knocked all the way back and then forwards, and then she's all, whoa, that 3D's great. <laughs> that's her reaction to getting punched in the face, like super hard. Like, Didn't that happen in A-Team? They're watching something in 3D and something crashes through the screen? Yeah, the van does. The oh. A-Team van. They're watching A-Team and then the van crashes through. It's from the writer and director of The Grey, Kelly Wan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Diggis, you must have some runners-up. Oh, yeah. Yes, I mean, Diggis. Of course there's Fast and Furious 5, the rescue dom from the prison bus thing. That's at the end of four and the beginning of five. So yes, 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 that's true. Yes, yes, thank you. Yes, yes, very good. Uh, there's two. Um, well, a couple of things that, that you guys were talking about when you were talking about the gauntlet. They made me think of Resident Evil. Uh, there's a there's a bus that goes on in that that's really cool. In one of the Resident Evils, we actually like, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. But when of, they're driving, cut. Well, it's kind of riffing on the on Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead buses, I think. Oh. Oh, okay. Because it's a battle bus to get through zombies, right? Right. Yeah. And, well, yeah. But it's also like a caravan, and the bus is part of a caravan, and it's fortified and whatnot. Um, but do also, you, it, Do you remember the buses in, in Dawn of the Dead, though, Dingus? Have you seen that? No, I, I really oh, don't. Because oh. it's the I same thing. I have seen the Zack Snyder one, yeah. 
Well, they're in a mall, and they finally realize, okay, we're going to have to get out of here sooner or later. So they take these shuttle buses, and they fortify them and put barbed wire – like they, they oh, make yeah. a hole so you can chainsaw the zombies, and there's barbed wire all around the top. And There's what on put, the top? Bob wire. So that the zombies can't climb up because the guy has to get on top of the bus and throw off a, uh, oh. a, a kerosene thing. To get in. There's no windmills involved. They don't need electricity. That's just Bob wire? Bob wire to keep the zombies from climbing up Got the bus. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there, there's two battle buses, and anytime you know that there's two of them, it's because you know one of them's going to wreck. Oh. And sure enough. Yeah. Oh, oh, now I remember. Now I remember. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember why it wrecks? It's so stupid. No. So no. they, they put slots in the, the side of the bus, and this is a cool idea, so that when the zombies are trying to climb up, if the bob wire doesn't stop them, they can cut them in half with a chainsaw. Um, oh. So one of the bu- <laughs> the bus that uh, I think Ving Rames <laughs> is driving, uh, Ty Burrell, who uh, is the, the, the smarmy oh, bad the guy. Kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, he's like, hey, there's a zombie stuck on the back of the bus. and uh, um, It's Rosa Parks. The old – Oh, oh wow! Really? <laughs> so the old guy is like, "I'll take care of it," and he picks up a chainsaw, and then Ving Rhames turns the bus a little too sharply, and the guy with the chainsaw falls over and chainsaws the blonde woman like through oh. her neck and, and kills her, oh. and everybody freaks out, and the bus turns over. It's like so dumb. Really? Like he he said, "Yeah, he fires up the chainsaw in the bus, accidentally kills the woman. It, people freak out, and the bus falls over." That and seems that's like a really dumb mistake. Yeah, don't don't let the old guy use the chainsaw, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's <clears> dumb. <throat> that's not as good as the gas station mistakes in the Night of the Living, though. I, well, see, they're yeah. trying to do that. They're trying to go see. They're just they're just a bunch of fuck ups. <laughs> that's the moral of this movie. <laughs> I mean, that is part of zombie lore. Is this idea that you know Idiots. because. Yeah, 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 well, no, dumb. Like things go wrong. Like something will right. break, something will screw yeah. up, and they're, they're, the zombies are always there to close in on you when that happens. Right. I, I love how random and hor- horrible that is in Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think like under those, doesn't that fit under that? Like something stupid will happen. But the, the thing is, it yeah, something stupid will happen, and it rains in this case, and people who don't deserve it will die. Is the thing because Tom and his girlfriend, the guys in Night of the Living Dead, they're super sympathetic, and you like them. And you know she gets stuck in the truck, and he goes to save her, and it blows up because they dropped a. I think it's like someone dropped a torch at the wrong time, and in the remake, uh, there's like a there's like a padlock on the gas tank at the gas station, and he raises the shotgun, (laughs) and he shoots the lock, and it blows. It's so fucking funny. (laughs) <laughs> like that's like a darwin award thing you deserve yeah, it yeah, totally. but they're the rednecks you know they're kind of dumb when you meet them so it's sort of in character and the other characters are just like oh god <laughs> but yeah dingus there is a there's definitely a, a a badass resident evil i think anything in a resident evil movie has been cribbed from somewhere else okay doesn't right, assault from precinct 13 have a bus that they're pulled up in the bus arrives with the right. prisoner, but then then they're in the precinct, aren't they? Right. Yeah, but I remember them fighting on it for some reason at some point. He's parked I in the. He's probably parked in the basement, and they they're all over that building, that police building. So yeah. maybe. At some point, yeah. But there's got to be like a castle defense on a bus thing. Um. Yeah. The, the bus and uh, here I'll give you guys a line. You ready? This because uh-huh. this is like bus and a castle defense. Ready. <clears throat> Two days ago, I saw a brig big enough to haul that tanker. You want to yeah. get out of here? You talk to me. Jira! 
<laughs> I just added that at the end of the impression to make it clear that it's an Australian. That's an amazing Paul Hogan. <laughs> That's not a bus. This is a bus. Yeah. But they use the bus as the door there because the bus pulls back oh, yeah. and, and lets right. them in, and then they drive the bus forward, and then at the end, the bus is part of the reveal how they've gotten the, the gasoline out of there. Yeah. Right, right enough. Uh, when Kelly was talking about whatever movie he was talking about driving off into the desert, what was that? The big bus? The bus? The yeah. bus park? Or no, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street 2, yeah. Um, nightmare it made me think of uh, the horrible sequence in Independence Day where Judd Hirsch like drives the bus. <laughs> oh, my what God. What do we have here? Yeah. Uh, Dickus remembers that. Wow. Yeah. I drive to so, a liquor store. I have two bus scenes I really love, and they're pretty uh, – one of them is pretty quick uh, that are from Wes Anderson movies. One of them is from Royal Tenenbaums, and it's basically – it's just um, – it's just Gwyneth Paltrow coming to pick him up when, uh, when Luke Wilson gets uh, dropped off at, at the station, and she's coming off the bus – and it's, I am come out walking. And it's that slow motion thing where she gets off the green. And, and you hear Alec Baldwin's voice go, uh, she came in the green line. She was late as usual. That that thing. I really love that bus sequence. It's it's just, it's not really a scene on a bus. It just has a bus in it. But the one I really love is in Bottle Rocket. After um, <laughs> Owen Wilson has broken him out of, uh, he thinks he's broken him out of the mental hospital but you know he's 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 voluntarily there and he's just convinced the doctor like look look he you know he needs to he needs to think that i'm escaping this is really important and uh, owen wilson's in the bushes going caw, caw. and they, they wind up on a bus and he has this journal of like this whole plan that he's going to do like how we're going to do this heist and they're riding on a bus during this while and and he's paging through this this really cute little index journal where he's like drawn all of these little diagrams of what they're going to do and his plans for how they're going to do the heist uh, and how they're going to plan their future and, you know, his many point plan. And that's why rocket science kind of came to mind because rocket science is Wes Anderson light again. And this, this character in rocket science was talking about his agenda. So I really love that little bus sequence in bottle rocket at the beginning. So that's do all guys, I've got. Do you guys remember why Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the movie is called that? Is the bus called Priscilla? Very good, Dingus. Yeah. Is it really? Uh, yeah. So it's like Sorcerer. I never. Yeah, very, I, exactly. Wow. Very yeah, they named the, they paint the bus uh, pink and it's named Priscilla. And that's the Queen of the Desert. Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, I'm surprised nobody brought up uh, what's the um, uh, the movie where they sing the Elton John song. Golden Circle, King's No, Tiny Dancer, uh, the rock movie. Um, rock movie, Almost Famous. I am a yeah, Almost Famous, where they're on the bus, they're on the tour bus, and they and they all ah. end up singing "Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer." Wow, there's Elton John in that. I didn't realize yeah. that. Okay. At the end of More American Graffiti, Shirley w- Cindy Williams starts a prison revolt on a prison bus by singing "Baby Love." And then all the, they all start singing it. And the guards are like, shut up! Stop that! Damn you women! Why is she going to prison? Uh, I don't know. She gets caught up in the wrong crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Bad life choices, right? Yeah. It's com- It's complicated, Tom. Uh, Dingus, you don't know scenes from Patterson come to mind for you? 
He plays a bus driver. There's a lot of bus scenes in that. Well, I certainly love the kids from Moonrise Kingdom being on the bus. Um, I don't understand why that happens. I didn't really care for Patterson. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's... I, I mean, I love him so much, but his, the woman who plays his wife just doesn't work for me. And, it, and that kind of makes the movie fall apart, I think. I watched Mars Attacks recently. and Jesus. Pam, I know, I know. Pam Greer plays a bus driver. Uh, and she's, of course, a sassy black lady. And she's driving her – it's a public – transit bus and she's driving her passengers and she sees her children in a video game arcade so she pulls over the bus and runs in there to berate them because they're supposed to be in school and runs over there to berate them and gets them in trouble while the passengers are like hey wait a minute we're on the bus you need to drive us somewhere and it's really wacky you guys tim burton that tim burton fella he does wacky movies Hmm. see it's crazy i was i found that movie terrifying mars attacks no you didn't oh that's true <laughs> Mars attacks is so bad. Uh, the uh, the opening of Dark Knight. No one mentioned that. I love the uh, the, the uh, way the bus is the the finale of his of his plot. Oh, oh, I oh, that's a really good point. I was just thinking of the ending of Dark Knight Rises where they're on the bridge. That's my favorite Tim Burton movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it gets really wacky. Do you guys remember? Because I know we did this for the podcast. Sidney Pollock's last movie was The Interpreter. Do you remember the bus scene in that? No. It's no. really good. So uh, The Interpreter's uh, it's minor. Is that Pollock. Nicole Kidman and George yeah. Clooney. So Nicole, no, uh, uh, Sean Penn. Sean uh, Penn. Nicole, Nicole Kidman is a translator at the UN, and there's some drama about uh, the the dictator in an African country who is going to be assassinated, and there are two different um, factions from that country who are in New York and who might be involved. And Nicole Kidman hears something, but we don't know if she's reliable or not, and she's got some sort of plot going on. So Sean Penn is uh, – I think he's with the Secret Service. Uh, and I didn't remember this. Catherine Keener is his, is his partner. <laughs> uh, so they, they, he doesn't believe her. He thinks there's something else going on, and of course it turns out he's right. But there's a scene where – uh, the Secret Service members are tailing Nicole Kidman. They're tailing one of the African warlord faction's leaders, and they're tailing uh, a suicide bomber who they have a tip on. And all three parties – Nicole Kidman, the bomber, and the, the faction leader uh, all end up on the same bus, and the, the Secret Service agents tailing them are like – wait a minute, we're all here together on this bus. What should we do? And Sean Penn is like, wait, you're all there on the same bus? These people know each other? Get off of the bus. And, you know, Nicole Kidman barely gets off, and then a, a bomb goes off. You don't remember that scene? I haven't seen the movie. I thought we did it for the podcast. Maybe I'm thinking of The Gunman. I don't think we did. Okay, think I'm thinking of The Gunman, I guess. But uh, it's really cool because there, there are these three separate threads and these three separate agents tailing three separate people who end up having a relationship with each other. And when they follow them, they all end up on the same bus. Oh. And the guys are talking into their sleeve like, hey, uh, Gary's here, right, sitting over there. Why is it? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever their names are, the but Connors over there as well. Right, right. Yeah, but it's a really tense scene for how they're all together on the bus, and one of them may or may not be a suicide bomber. Uh, Nicole Kidman is there, and she's all along she's having a conversation with this warlord guy, and you're finding out more information. Like you're finding out more information about her having a hidden agenda, and it's all it's really good. It's a really good bit of direction from Sidney Pollock in an otherwise oh. mediocre movie. 
Um, I thought we did that for the podcast. I guess not. I don't remember doing that for the podcast. You just made me think of Margaret, by the way. Oh, I thought of that one, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was yeah. circling around it. Mark yeah. Ruffalo driving that bus and how yeah, it's an iconic bus scene. Cowboy hat and everything, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, I identify with him. That's why I don't drive buses anymore. Kelly Wan, who got hit by the bus? Uh, Alice and Janney. All right. Which one? Uh, who was on Lost? Alice and Janney or Tony Collette? Uh. Alice and Janney. All right, very good. Am I right? Yep. What's I'm the ne- name of that? What's it's the name never of that Tony Collette, except Six Sense. Who's in Muriel's what? Wedding? Fuck. That's that's uh, <laughs> Tony Janney. Tony J- Janice, Jallison Shown, Jallison Shoning. <laughs> All right. Which one has Which one has Tom done the scene with? Alice and Janney or Tony Collette? Oh, I'd love to. You know what? I really think that was a line of manly handshake ensues, and you're just dumb. I, Could I was, be. Kelly Wan, that's that's very likely. Yeah. They thought and only yeah. And you uh, were the only one who actually didn't think it was. And everyone right. else was like, oh, this is he's supposed to be uh it was supposed to be in quotes, probably. And that was the, what threw you off. And that's the point they threw out my headshot, and uh yeah, that's why uh, they were like, Okay, this kid's dumb. We're, we can't cast him. He can't even read a script. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't count because it's after the bus scene, but uh, do you guys know Night of the Iguana? Yeah. Because oh. Richard well, Burton I know the, the play. I don't know the movie. Yeah, I don't know the play. I mean, I know it's, it's basically a play instead of a, a movie, but Richard Burton's in the movie, and uh, he shanghais the – he's a bus tour – he's a bus driver, and he shanghais a bunch of Baptist church ladies at, uh, uh, at Ava Gardner's hotel. And refuses to like he refuses. He's basically taking him prisoner because he doesn't want to get in trouble. Uh, and in order so they don't drive away, he's carrying around the distributor cap from the bus <laughs> throughout most of the scenes <laughs> so that he can't leave. All right. Who would win if the jackal fought the iguana at sunset, like magic hour? And it's like Lady Hawk. Why? Why are jackals involved in this? Because it's day of the jackal, night of. Because Alice and Janney did uh, the jackal in the West Wing. The jackal. Yeah. Are you guys ready? Are you guys done talking about buses yet? Yeah, I mean, did the, we the talk about was buses? Every movie I saw over Has the last buses. few weeks, every, every bus I saw, there's there's buses, there's a bus that goes by Keanu Reeves in Constantine. <laughs> I'm like, hey, there's a bus, and uh, there's a bus where he gets off the bus in John Wick to because he has to take a bus because his car's car's been stolen and his other car's been destroyed. He has to take the bus to John Leguizamo's uh, chopped car shop. Uh, every every time I was watching a movie, I was thinking I was like, "Hey, there's a bus! There's a bus! There's a bus!" Well, once it became clear that it, they didn't have to be scenes on buses, uh, we could have chosen Final Destination, Kelly Wand, that that the originator uh, yeah. of the uh, you know the tight frame on someone who gets hit by a truck or a bus or a car. Yeah. And now we're always on air. You can always see those shots coming now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, parts of her are inside the bus if she broke the glass. Mm, that's that's not canon, Kelly Wand. Shut up, Kelly. <laughs> huh. Speaking of canon, all right, we've seen some Star Wars movies lately that got me thinking about this, oh. <laughs> like Last Jedi and Solo. Uh, Star Wars. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mess up anybody's picks for three by three, but these are bad examples of what I want good examples of. I want your favorite noble sacrifices. We haven't done this before. Yikes! Have we, Dingus? 
Uh, I would have to look familiar? Him. Yeah, I don't it, think we have. All right. It's just a good topic then. Oh, oh okay. Well, yeah, you, it's not that you remember doing it. It's that you're thinking, I can't believe we didn't do it. Tom, I don't remember this. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, be thinking about that for a month. You've got plenty of time if you've got any uh, And picks. nothing else. Uh, we'll do that in about a month, three by three. But uh, let's see a movie next week. Oh. Let's see. Uh, it's out now. Well, it'll be out by the time uh, – it'll be out in a few days, if you're li- depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, it's out this week on uh, Video On Demand and Blu-ray and CD-ROM or whatever you watch your movies on. Uh, th- uh, Thoroughbreds. Hmm. Uh, that cute little uh, – that Olivia Cook would be really cute if she was, didn't have – she's a hideous woman because of the birthmark on her face, as we all know from Ready Player One. She's so hideous, but I'm glad she's oh. in movies. She's still getting movie roles, so that's good. She's in Thoroughbreds with uh, Anna Taylor-Joy. So Is let's see that. Oh, Anna Taylor-Joy. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, if you're listening – if you're listening and you see Thoroughbreds, uh, send us an email. Let, let us know what you thought. Uh, unfortunately, we are recording early, so you'll have to get that to us by June 6th at midnight. You're probably uh, not even – it's probably beyond that. By the Which time means you'll have to, to have listen to this before then to, right, right. to know. What a disaster. Uh, so join us for that next week, and at the end of the month, we'll talk about our favorite, favorite noble sacrifices. We'll see if Last Jedi and uh, Solo get involved in that. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian – McCluskey. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. That Charles Grodin was one saucy Aslan. Give me a hole if you got your funky bus fare. Guys, Danny Trejo was a terrifying Pippin. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared. Then lucky observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have what eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Oragai Six. Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Man, that Kurt Cameron—he was so hot as Warm Tongue. I really didn't think he could do it, but yeah, he did it. You kept making all the stops. Is that from? Uh, Speed 2?